you know, and, and ultimately I think the idea that the Gracie's, you know, Carlos in particular did for a couple of years uh, before he left Belém, he did receive training from Jacinto Ferro, from Donato Pierce Dos Reis, which is the other big name that has been kind of buried, right? Um, and those guys had learned from Maeda. So it's not like the whole thing is farcical, right? I mean, it's just that they wanted to use the biggest name for their marketing, you know? And ultimately, the Gracies have a history of kind of having falling outs with people. And they had uh, falling out with Donato, for example. So he was the guy that actually uh, founded and was the original head instructor uh, of what became known as the Gracie Academy in Rio. And so when you see all these patches that say, like, founded in 1925, mm, no. Uh, it, it actually was Donato who founded this academy, and he called it the Academy of Jiu-Jitsu, right? And he had two junior instructors, and those two junior instructors were Carlos and George Gracie, right? So there's no question what the hierarchy was there. Um, but then they had a falling out in very Gracie fashion. They showed up and jumped them, <laughs> you know, where it's multiple guys on one guy. And then all of a sudden he's out of the gym. They're taking over the gym and they're rebranding it. So it's opened in 1930, I believe. And then in 1932, it's rebranded the Gracie Academy. And that's the one that you always hear about. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pohada podcast. I, as always, am the host of these conversations, Matt Browse of Pohada Photography. This is a show where I have real conversations with Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners and folks in other aggressive pursuits. Very often these are black belts, gym owners, and elite level competitors. Today is something of a roundtable discussion about the history of jiu-jitsu. I recruited friends of mine that I know to be knowledgeable on the topic and save for Tall Tom's best efforts, we pretty clumsily make our way through the facts and through the lore. Before we jump in, I have to ask that you rate the show if you like it on Apple or wherever you find it. Share an episode or two with folks you think might find it entertaining or interesting. And do check out at the Pohada Podcast and at Pohada Photography on Instagram. Without further ado, my conversation with Tall Tom Hicks, Ishmael Bentley, and John Grills on the history of jujitsu. Love how fancy you are. Yeah, Got whiskey flutes. <laughs> very much. Um, they're actually tequila flutes. Excuse me. Sir. Thank you very much. All right, Matt. We want to start. I figure we start with what's the dude's name? The guy that taught Anderson Silva the teep kick. <laughs> Steven Seagal. <laughs> we started Steven Seagal work back. <laughs> no, then, no, no. And then come forward. Didn't teach him the front kick. Uh, he invented the front kick. Oh. There's a difference. Well, and then eventually Anderson Silva learned it. Is that a good place? I think Steven Seagal needs his own episode. <laughs> Would it be hilarious if we said it, it was oh, BJJ man. history and then all we did was talk about Steven, Steven Seagal? <laughs> Just movie review after movie review. Just get Ellefson back on. Yeah. Sing the praise of Steven Seagal. Yeah. yeah. Steven Seagal, the early years. They're like, and then he's got, he's like Elvis, though. He's got early years and fat he years. He does. Yeah, he is. This is actually a pretty good <laughs> comparison. Him and Elvis. Skinny Steven Seagal and then Elvis. And then Steven Seagal, Lawman. What was the 
Reality oh, show also was an honorary. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He was like a drug enforcement right? agent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The DA. That's right. Yeah. Wait so a minute. They tell them where their lives are. Really? Yeah. Is this some like alternate timeline stuff? No, it's real. There was. I don't they know. They were never seen together. That's it what I'm saying. Is it the? Maybe it's really yeah. There was life some after. I don't remember if it was the DEA specifically. Like you had to get it from the president or something. And somehow Elvis found out that there's this badge that basically allows you to do anything, and it's under whatever <laughs> pretense. It was probably drugs. And he found out about it. And basically, like, so, like, that Nixon picture you see with Elvis is mm-hmm. Elvis becoming friends with Nixon so he can get this badge. Mm-hmm. And Elvis basically went even crazier when he had it. Like, he stopped a plane with it once, like, running down the tarmac, like, flashing the badge. <laughs> he went just totally insane. There's a movie when Elvis met Nixon, and mm. the part that is, like, behind closed doors, they do a fictionalized version of what they think would have happened. <laughs> oh, I, think I've seen, I think I've seen It's that. very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. I've been to Graceland. It's amazing. I'm sure it is. I still need to go to Paisley I've Park. To, I've been, I've been That's to as close twice. as I'll it's get. It's incredible. There's a room with carpet on the ceiling. It's so awesome. Mm. It won't let you go upstairs, though, but... So after the yeah, first shine visit, a black there, light twice. there were so many unanswered questions. You felt like you needed to, to journey back to Graceland. Well, Memphis is not the greatest town. I used to have to go there for like work. And the first time I was there by myself, I was like, oh, I got a few hours and we'll go to Graceland. And then the next time I went back with a bunch of executives, I'm like, guys, we have to go to Graceland. <laughs> it's amazing. And they were like, okay. That's awesome. <laughs> There's no carpet in the ceiling in one of Isha's rooms. <laughs> Don't know what it's for, but <laughs> looks good. Honest question. What would be the point of carpet? Other than like for sound quality, I don't think there's a real purpose. Other than I guess it's just thing in the same. I got the money to got the money to shag carpet on this. Yep. I think that's a great start. I think we started this off right. (laughs) Started with Elvis. We nailed it. Elvis and Steven Seagal are alternate timelines of the same character. Maybe we go with where Helio lands in that (laughs) spectrum of. (laughs) When did jujitsu start? Honestly, I don't think anybody knows. <clears throat> what version? It's gonna of, be a shit podcast then, because well, what no, version of jujitsu? Yeah, jujitsu with a hyphen. Jujitsu. <laughs> sure. Is there jujitsu as well, like spelled well, differently? Well, Japanese jujitsu doesn't have a hyphen, and it's wait, J I J I T S U, jujitsu. J U J U T S U. is supposed to be the, is the correct spelling. J U J U T S U is the correct spelling in jujitsu. I remember years ago when there were still jujitsu books on the shelves of, you know, Borders, uh, reading, uh, I think it was Eddie Bravo's Twister book. And he was talking about, like, that was his first exposure to jujitsu as he went in, because he'd seen, like, jujitsu, like, UFC, whatever, and he was interested in it. And he found, he's like, oh, jujitsu. But it was Japanese jujitsu. He's like, oh, what difference does a hyphen make? And then he went in, he's like, all right, it's a little bit different. (laughs) Also, when Borders existed oh i miss that there were so many great jujitsu books that they haven't even they haven't even made digital like bj penn's guard book is really his gi book is really good like it feels like people are like discovering new guards and i'm like no i'm pretty sure i saw that in like bj penn's book like 10 years ago well andre galvao's drills to win for like 200 bucks on rare that's the only one i'm gonna sell of all my jujitsu books that's the only one i'm not gonna sell oh really because you like it i love i i it's worth 200 I think bucks. I don't want to get rid of it at <laughs> this point. I mean. Yeah. yeah. It's just going to get more valuable, probably. I liked yeah. it a lot more when I was an instructor. I needed to come up with shit that to wow <laughs> people. Like, what the hell is this drill? I'm like, oh, wow. I just came up with this. Got <laughs> like, it. Got it. I was like, do it really poorly because it was in a book. <laughs> it was 
wasn't entirely sure how it should look. What book should I read? I never read a jujitsu book. Which book should I read? For what? Are you talking history now or are you talking history? technique? Anything. So are, are we recording, by the way? Is this yeah, it? No. Oh, yeah. This We've is all fake, actually. For minutes. Oh, really? Is that right? All of our nonsensical talk is also recorded. Oh, that's how it works. Okay. That was the good stuff. So for history, there's kind of two veins, right? There's books that you can only get in Portuguese. So I can't read those. I definitely want those. Um, and I don't have to read them. But Roberto Padera uh, did the Chake books, yeah. volumes one, two, and three. And then more recently has done the Craze books. Do you mean choke? So it's a misconception. It, it doesn't even mean choke. Chake means uh, conflict. Uh, you know, it implies like struggle, that kind of thing. It's actually better. Yeah. yeah. It's better. So, but those books are fantastic. Um, and then there's another guy, I'd have to look it up, but it's like Tufi is, is what he's known as. Um, and he's another researcher who did his PhD research on the Gracies in Brazil and kind of the formation of national identity. And he has published a lot of really great stuff. There's actually an academic journal on martial arts history, and he publishes stuff in that. Uh, so that would, that would be the other, those are the two big guys in like, you know, jujitsu history essentially. And more recently though, like Drysdale, um, the opening, the closed guard book is a really great like intro. I he would references say. those guys a lot. Yeah. A yeah. lot of their work. Hopefully the documentary comes out at some point. <laughs> yeah, for the because of uh, jujitsu community is yeah. the guy's name. Drysdale's book super controversial in the jujitsu world. It's a great book because it's actually have, it has references. Right, so and, it and actually and is like, references what he's talking it references about. a lot yeah. of that work. Yeah. yeah, Drysdale's not without his own controversy. Yeah, this is true. That's true. So, but I mean, there's why a, would a book be controversial? We've never that's never been a an issue. No, <laughs> how's a book controversial? Tell nope. me. Nobody has issues with books. What part of the country are we talking about? Banning <laughs> <laughs> books every day, apparently somewhere in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think jujitsu is one of those areas where most people think they know the basic story and believe it to be true. And so in jujitsu schools all around the world, they kind of tell the same story. Yeah. The gold plates or no, that's different, <laughs> but the, you know, magic it's, underwear, it, it's yeah. almost like a story you tell kids, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. it's like a cartoon version of the story that would be super effective and was super effective for marketing purposes. It's a marketing story. Yeah. And yeah. nobody wants to think, that their instructor who told them their version of the story is wrong. So you hold on to your ideas. It's like, like, well, my mom and dad said this. It's like, yeah. And your mom and dad are wrong. Mama say, mama say, let's see what mama has to say. (laughs) Exactly. So in Drysdale's book, even by the end of him writing the book, basically the team that's working on this book has fallen apart. It's such a a controversial subject. Competing orthodoxies in the yeah. team. Well, and so many people they talked to at that point and they got so, started to get so many different perspectives on the exact same thing. And it just, yeah, it got too complicated for everybody. And, and I thought he did a good job with his book because he's, he doesn't, his book originally came off as a lot of people were like, oh, this is anti-Gracie. And he's pretty complimentary of the Gracies yeah. in the book. But he says, well, in a lot of the things, he's like, according to the references, there's no evidence these things actually happened and he was very clear. He's like, I'm not saying they didn't happen, but we can only go on what we have references for. Like Maeda teaching Carlinos Gracie, Carlos, Carlos Gracie, right? He was like, okay, maybe they may, maybe they did, but there's no real evidence that Carlos Gracie learned jujitsu from Maeda. Uh, he obviously learned it somewhere. 
Um, but he was like, but from a research standpoint, there's no reference that actually shows this is true. And that's all he tried to say. He was like, I'm just going on what the literature and what the research tells me. I'm not saying these things didn't happen. Yeah. And of course it became, you know, all kinds of people had to put YouTube videos out saying, well, here's the real history. And those videos are like, well, where's your references? Well, this is what we've been told. And he was like, well, he's trying to, he's trying to do real research to come up with the most accurate or complete story. Um, So I thought he actually did a good job in his book. I think he took a lot of flack for things that weren't necessarily fair, but he didn't support always the marketing story. There's a a prevailing narrative and there's maybe some chinks in that armor now. Well, and if you're going to, I mean, even the the basis of the argument, if you're saying he's going to come out anti-Gracie, why even talk to like Carlos Jr.? Like why talk to a Gracie in the first place? If you're going to come out against them, why not just talk to people who have the opposite view? Like he did give a platform for both sides of it. And I mean, a lot of it is just conflicting too. It's like, cause it's perception. It's our own memories. You know, I can, I, rem- I think I remember what high school was like, <laughs> but was it nearly as bad as I thought it was? Probably. But well, and somebody else's experience of the same class or the same incident yeah. and their memory of it is going to be different than well, yours. And the regardless. same person. I mean, if you talk to Helio's kids about Helio, they're going to give a different answer <laughs> than someone else who's from like a different lineage or even a Machado. You know, it's just, it's just the nature of things. I mean, even I remember like in Carlos, like in, in the open and close Drysdale's book, you could still hear like Carlos Jr.'s like, like kind of reverence even for Helio, like, which is kind of surprising because like I was saying off mic, like the way I always heard it is down in Brazil, nobody really cares about Helio. Like Carlos is the father of jujitsu. Like Helio became huge over here. It was like the whole Gracie line going out to the UFC and it's like, Oh, and that's the patriarch. And it turned into the whole, Oh, I want to, I want to do jujitsu till I'm in my nineties, like Helio. And it's like, all right, well, there's a lot of baggage that comes with even that concept in the first place. So like the narrative just got shifted because of somebody branded better. Yeah. Amazing marketing. Like they control the narrative, like they control the narrative through the UFC and they controlled it afterwards. Because Carlos originally kind of put out what we could call like the Brazilian jiu-jitsu origin myth, right? And he was really driving the narrative, but then ultimately it was Horian that perfected it. The marketing genius. Yeah. Yeah. Marketing genius. You know, he came to America and he's teaching privates out of his garage uh, he's very much wanting to make it in Hollywood. He kind of did. He appeared on an episode of Three's Company. He was in Lethal Weapon. He, he did he was the fight choreography for Lethal Weapon. Yeah, but yeah, he was yeah. in an episode. But I mean, Three's Company. Three's yeah. company. Let's. He was like a date or somebody for one of the girls or something like that. <laughs> so I've watched the episode. And uh, <laughs> was that part of your research for this time? Uh, Say so yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Thank uh, you. But basically, Horian. The, the, it was a visual joke in Three's Company that Horian was so handsome. That he showed up and like everybody oh, was against right, yeah. like, you know, having this guy come and then the women from Three's Company see him and they're like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know he was going to look like that. So. so so he wrote the character then too. <laughs> like, but he's the know, reason why I think Hickson wasn't in the first UFC because he was too big and scary. We wanted to send a small guy in, right? Which is all bullshit. <laughs> right, right. I think it was more that like, you know. He was much harder to control than, than yeah. Hoist. Yeah, Hoist was. Hoist was under Horian. Hickson was doing his own thing. Couldn't control the narrative. Right. Like, 
Yeah. And again, Hickson's not that much bigger than Hoist. They're like the exact same size. Like, yeah, Hickson's got the ab thing that he they're does. A, they're, a, they're a completely different level of athlete, though. Yeah. Once you touch them both, you're, they're like, they are a completely different level of athlete. One is a longer, lanky guy, and one is a guy when you touch, it's like, oh, this is like touching a boulder. It's yeah, like, but the like idea. me versus Tom. Hmm. Am I the boulder? Yeah. So oh. man, yeah. But, but the whole, idea oh. that physical appearance was the, like the deciding factor in getting hoist. No, I think I think who fought in the first UFCs like Muay Thai. There's several things involved. One, Orion knew he couldn't control Hickson. Two, uh, Hickson has been on record, uh, whether it's in choke or some interviewing, say he would have never fought in the gi. Right? People identify the martial arts in the gi. Right, so I think Horian wanted to create this marketing perception is like, oh, this is what martial arts looks like, you know, this is this mm-hmm. young guy, this is a guy I can control, um, and to be honest, like he probably knew whichever my brothers I put in there is going to win this, and this is the brother that fits what I want the marketing story to be, sure. and this is the brother that lives in my basement or attic that I have control of, right. and that's how that all came to be. Which is its own brand of genius. Oh, he's, I mean, he's a marketing we're, we're genius. A, we're, we're building a story. Yeah, here. and you think about it, like, he's not the most beloved pe- person even in his family, right? Because of, you know, to build the empire that he built, he also burned a lot of bridges to build that empire with family members, uh, unapologetically. So, and to be honest, like, this, you know, all of these, this myth around Elio Grace, Gracie, I've never seen any evidence that, Idio was the one that kind of tried to build this myth around him. It was other people that were building this myth around him. Right? But he started believing the myth. Oh, for sure he believed believed, believed everything. But his contribution to jiu-jitsu is like his literally willingness is like, oh, I'll go and compete against anybody. This idea of, I mean, we all have done jiu-jitsu, right? This idea of, you know, one day he he shows up and Carlos doesn't show up to teach a private and he's never done jujitsu, but he's just absorbed it all by watching and he gets on the mat and he's an amazing instructor. There's no way that's true. <laughs> Nobody becomes good at jujitsu yeah. without actually doing jujitsu. Yeah. I've right? sat out a lot of rounds and so that time staring at other people doing it. It's not it hasn't been helpful. No. <laughs> but it's an amazing story. Like, yeah, Oh, he was meant. Cool. This was his, this is what he was put here for. That's a mythology. And, and as long as we're laying out kind of the original myth. So, you know, he's there, he's observing his brother, he takes it all in, but then he takes these judo techniques and he like adds leverage and he changes them to work for a smaller, weaker person. You know, when you think about it, it's like the Japanese are not known for being giant people. And Kano, the guy who invented judo, you know, where all this comes from, he was a tiny person. So it's a little preposterous, but, but somehow just nobody questioned it, you know? And, you know, it's real recorded, like his matches, like, you know, they would do weigh-ins. He weighed 138 pounds. That's pretty well known. 138 pounds in the 1930s is not a small man, right? It's not like today, right? A global depression has happened, right? So it's not like he was 138 pounds and like the rest of the world was 200 pounds. Well, I feel like even so. Maeda wasn't that tall. Like, I feel like Maeda was only like, five foot four or something like yeah. that. He was considered small when he started judo. So the idea that he becomes kind of the ambassador that brings it to Brazil in the first place and that Helio is this really small, frail guy on top of it. It's like, it makes it sound like every, yeah, like you said, like everyone was huge, you know, like the idea that Hickson's six foot five and shredded. It's like oh, five foot eight ish, <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. It's like, 
it sounds great when you pass down like these stories and god nobody can talk about jujitsu and helio without mentioning because he was smaller and frail and he was a sickly young boy who just couldn't do the same because like, it's just a better story versus no he was pretty good at the ground stuff <laughs> like well, he figured it out and he was a well known to be an amazing swimmer yeah he yeah. he competed in a, an elite, <laughs> small and frail and a and an really amazing, good athlete yeah, yeah. He, he was in an elite rio swimming club and competitively swimming but, See, I didn't know that. But then suddenly when he yeah. gets brought into jujitsu, when they kind of have a falling out with their brother, George, who again has been kind of cut out of the narrative, uh, all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's this very frail guy and he needed to, you yeah. know, change it all to work for a frail, small, you know, weak person. Well, who the fuck is George? <laughs> what? Yeah, there's a lot of who the fuck is that names <laughs> in, the hi- in the history of it. George? Nobody You're making that up. George, so if you think of, you know... Uh, Carla, or you think of Horion starting the UFC, he needs to have a brother that can go in and confidence he's going to win, but he's going to be able to control this. George was uh, a family member that Carlos, many, many years later, could not control. George just did his own thing. Elio, right? I mean, even in like books and stuff, like Elio revered Carlos, his old, right, older brother. Uh, George, you know, was at one point considered the best fighter in the family but george was also considered like an uncontrollable character and it's like you're not going to tell me who to fight and when to fight i'm going to go do whatever i want All right so then he basically gets excommunicated from the family because he can't be controlled whereas elio you know reveres his brother and is a good soldier so so George was the original champion of the family. So it seems like the Gracies always kind of have like a champion that is the one who like carries the shield, right? And it was really never Carlos. Like Carlos had one professional fight and he lost that fight. So, you know, for a while it was George and then kind of what Rishta was describing. And then it became Helio for a time, uh, you know, and then eventually Helio was getting too old. And so you kind of needed that next generation to step in. Halls before he passed. Mm-hmm. There's lore around Halls too, right? Oh, Halls is largely credited. I mean, I th- I think should at least be credited with just the nature of jujitsu. Now he was the first cross trainer. Yeah, he went and trained he wrestlers. Yeah, he sambo. wrestled. He did sambo, and Helio did not like that. Like he's like, no, you should only be able to do jujitsu. Like kind of the line like you used to hear like Kron talk about like before he started MMA. It's like I only do jujitsu. It's like, oh, you doing any boxing striking? I only do jujitsu. Like it was very much like company line sort of thing but yeah, these things repeat themselves a lot yeah over the years but halls was very much like uh, if i train against someone and they can beat me at what they do maybe i should train at what they do to figure out how to beat them so mm-hmm. he did sambo and he did wrestling and it was this really weird controversy but even hickson considers him to have been the best gracie like the best athlete the the toughest grappler and unfortunately he just died really young in a in a hang gliding, gliding accident and just and, pure badassery. If I'm going, kind, out, I'm going kinda, out yeah. It was just like he did what he wanted to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, he did. He went hang gliding when everybody that hang glided with him was like, oh, "This is not a good idea. <laughs> Today's not the day for this." And he's like, "I'm going to do it anyway." And so then the mantle kind of passed to Hickson. And if you read Hickson's book, he he tells a story that no one could have been there to witness, but about him rolling with Hulls just before his death, and like he finally like sort of beat Hulls in training and. He felt like it was kind of acknowledged that there was this sort of passing of the torch. Um, and someone we wouldn't want to leave out in between those generations. So in between Helio, 
uh, and then Halls and Hickson uh, was Carlson Gracie, who was incredibly important, like especially in the 50s and 60s. Uh, again, kind of carrying the shield and being the family champion. All balanced upon the bed of like, there's orthodoxies, which we all seem to love, right? Because they come to the purity test. Oh, no, no, we're just jujitsu or whatever. And then there's like the reformists coming in. That's a complicated storyline. So you think about like when they when they start the Gracie Challenge, they're you know fighting karate, kung fu, all this stuff. What's the Gracie Challenge? You know, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, I know one of but... the Gracie challenges. Like, you know, you can come to our gym if you beat us. Like, you're going to be able to, you know, we're going to record it. You'll win ever how much money, which you won't. They didn't. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> but, but sure, but nobody, bucks. you know, when nobody knew jujitsu, there was the chances somebody was going to beat them. Um, and you think about like what, what they saw, what their goal was to prove is like, you know, all of these myths about this Kung Fu master living in the hills, being able to do these things. We're going to prove like none of that's wrong. They had their own mythology within their own martial art that these certain people were like are untouchable. Right. So it's like, sometimes like, yeah, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to change the narrative around the martial arts world, but we have our own narrative and don't. Don't question that because people get really, really like the old school guys. When you question the official, man, they get like it gets they get really emotional about it. You know, this is the story, all right? This is the story that's been just down every year. Like the stories about Elio Gracie, like what Elio Gracie did in his life is amazing. These elaborations on that, they're not necessary, but they make a great story, right? And if you put that in the hands of a guy that's a marketing genius, right? Now the whole world believes this is the story. And you have a guy like Robert Drysdale comes in and is like, well, I'm going to approach this, you know, investigatively with references. And, and then, like, but part of the jiu-jitsu world has, like, shunned him for that. So, so the, you, you mentioned the training with Maeda thing is one of the specifics that isn't you know, exactly a pile of receipts laying around. Yeah, that's a huge question mark. What, what are some of the other, like pieces of the orthodoxy that are probably questionable who who gave helio and carlos a black belt uh were they actually doing judo because all of their instructors that they had access to and it probably wasn't maeda but whether it was actually maeda's students like jacinto ferro they were judo guys they were kodakan trained judo guys but there's this myth that no 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 Judo was actually this this BS thing that the Japanese were using to kind of like fool other people into not getting the real secrets of ancient jujitsu, and that somehow the Gracies had access to this ancient jujitsu that was more effective and efficient and used leverage, right? But oh, the thing is, boy. where would that come from? Right. Because the only training that they had access to was Kodokan Judo people. So on the extreme, you've got people that say that BJJ actually stands for basically just Judo. Um, <laughs> And that's awesome. And then like, you know, uh, I don't think that's entirely fair because ultimately when you look at the level of sophistication and ground fighting that ultimately developed, clearly it has become its own distinct art. But for the longest time, they were just doing like sort of this idiosyncratic judo. Right. Um, And they didn't want to acknowledge that. They always wanted to belittle judo, put it down, claim that this was something very different and that it somehow come from somewhere else. But where? They couldn't really. They say. probably start to divert in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, is where like jujitsu really starts to become Brazilian jujitsu as we know it, um, and there becomes you know tournaments form and does focuses on the ground. Elio Gracie helps develop the tournament rules, 
which right people in jiu-jitsu is like oh elio gracie like was always anti well he helped develop the rules for sport jiu-jitsu you can't just go out and fight every day in the street right I mean, at some point you know for the art to progress there has to be a set of rules in a format where you can do this um so that that purest commentary of like well the real jiu-jitsu isn't sport jiu-jitsu sort of a tenuous argument yeah this saying. idea in like 1925 there's there's judo and all of a sudden there's gracie jiu-jitsu and they're they're very similar way beyond that right literally like the 60s and 70s is probably where brazilian jiu-jitsu starts to become what it we know it is today and look at it now versus 10 years ago it's a lot different so so there, there, there's people that argue for a mystique origin story rather than just like an actual development of skills and tactics over the last hundred years from what where they actually started with well it's it's all business right yeah. and i mean the thing is that like judo became incredibly popular in brazil and you know they had some people that were really quite skilled at judo and doing well in the international competition scene pro wrestling became quite popular in brazil and so that's what gracie jiu-jitsu was competing against and so it was really important to, to differentiate, you know, like, well, why would you want to train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu if you can never really compete internationally and there's no one else in the world that really cares about it other than this, you know, cadre of people associated with the Gracie family. So, I mean, again, it goes back to, to marketing and, you know, Judo has the benefit of being ultimately an Olympic sport and being, you know, funded, uh, you know, by governments. And jiu-jitsu was always a private enterprise. It was about, you know, this family and ultimately their friends needing to put food on the table, you know. And to be fair to the Gracies, that's valid. I mean, we all need to earn a living. Um, so, like, Jigoro Kano, the inventor of judo, he came from a really wealthy family. Uh, he didn't need the money. So all these ideals that he had, um, you know, about making it this sort of like philosophical endeavor of making better people and this idea of like educating the full person. I mean, you can do that when you have the luxury of not having to worry about how you're putting food he, on the He's table. high up on Maslow, so he can start thinking about that shit. There you go. I like yeah. the psychology, Rob. Nice. I Googled it. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, I, I wouldn't blame the Gracies for the ideas of what people have decided to perpetuate. I mean, they might have started like building the snowball, but other people have been tipping it down the hill and it just gets bigger and bigger and people get entrenched in their ideologies. Mm -hmm. You don't... No, they people, don't. No, people don't get entrenched in ideology. People don't like to You're admit... Wrong. Yeah, that what they like is wrong or that there's a better way or, or even any other way. I mean, the, the division of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Luta Libre like, basically came down to the idea of luta livre nogi essentially in brazil was for poor people like, because you had to afford a gi you had to afford a gi so largely luta livre was happened in the favelas and more often than not it was also darker skinned like immigrants who were doing it as opposed to the lighter skinned brazilians who had more money who could afford the gis who ended up doing brazilian jiu-jitsu like there's all kinds of these splits and divisions and we're right you're wrong and does it come down to money probably more often than not but it happens all the time so the idea that anyone would say like this is the right way especially in jujitsu it's like are you fucking kidding me like listen like how many times have you sh has somebody shown armbar from closed guard and you say don't cross your ankles 
it's not wrong to cross your ankles. It's just different leverage. Watch someone who does judo. Do an arm bar. Dave Camarillo only crosses ankles. That's how judokas do arm bars. It's the leverage. Flaring your knees is you have to create the pressure on the jaw to extend the arm. Like you don't teach brand new white belts to cross their ankles because they don't understand the leverage of the bite of what's going on. Like, so you teach them don't like get a bite out like with your legs, don't cross your ankles, but crossing your ankles isn't wrong. It's just how you do it. So like this right and wrong aspect of jujitsu is just absurd. Like it's my instructor said not to cross your ankles. Yeah. Well, your instructor's (laughs) wrong. I, I did jumping jacks. You specifically? Jacks. Yeah, I did. I did jumping jacks as a result of crossing my ankles. Well, you didn't. And his get name the right. was Hanan, as a matter of fact. Hanan made that, you do jumping jacks. He doesn't know anything. He threatened me with jumping jacks. A black, I'm not doing jumping jacks. I'm paying to be here. I'm not doing jumping jacks. Also, a black belt in judo who gets mad at you for crossing your ankles during an arm. Yeah, given what you said, pretty ironic. Brazil but, still has good judo to this day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has very good judo. Well, look at some of the top level guys. Still have judo black belts. Yeah. Like Jacare, judo black belt. Like so many of these top level athletes and fighters, black belt in jiu-jitsu, black belt in judo. Yeah, it's a very emotional thing, but like it's hard to argue like the Gracie family is not the most influential martial arts family of all time. It's like just based on the merit of what they've done. But then there has to be this like, well, again, it gets back to business. Like how do we build this empire? Okay, let's create this mythology around these things that happen. And again, like a lot of times, like there's a little bit of kernel of truth. And then it's just this person adds this and this person adds this. Like Carlos, the biography of Carlos Gracie, right? Um, Some people, I've had people ask me, should I read this? I was like, read it, but use some logic. When you read a story and you're like, there's no way this is true. There's no way this is true. Hickson was 400. No, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I was working on Mark Niccolo's back for several minutes of our role today. Just like give him a massage? or Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Okay. Kernel of truth, and then the extra details. Yeah, like Carlos Gracie's biography like really gives you like a lot of insight into the inner workings of that family. Some of it, you know, like Eddie was going to have a child and can't have a child with his wife. Right, she can't have children, so we're going to convince the wife that, that we're going to let the, somebody else to have the child, and then we're going to convince the family that, well, it's actually you know her child, right? So some of the biographies interesting just to see the inner workings of the family on how the family actually functioned, um, how the family functioned, you know, personally, how the family functioned as far as trying to build Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. But then there's certain things you read, and if you've been told the same story over and over, you're like, I wonder if this is true. But if you like step back, and you're like, there's no way this is true. I mean, this is, this is not physically possible. Like, no human could do this. Yeah. So LeBron James couldn't do this, right. you know, as an athlete. So why do I think this person could have done this? So this you always have cool. to, like, take it with, like, some of these stories with, like, a little bit of a grain of salt. Like, just pull out the things that are valuable. Um and be able to set aside the things that you know have been like maybe embellished a little bit over the over the years. And don't create an ideology around it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. Ew, man. Well, yeah, like in people the, get really personal about it. I'm sure. People that are like knew these people, like knew Carlos, knew Elio. Like it's like almost you can't have like a real conversation about what's the real story. Because, well, no, this is the real story. And I was like, well, I think that can actually be a real story. But you, you, it's like you can't even have a conversation because people become so emotional about it. 
Yeah. And the, I mean, like the book that Ish is referencing, you know, uh, by Carlos's <clears throat> daughter, the biography, I mean, there's stories in there that are so specific, you know, like the one where Maeda is teaching this class and he asks, uh, I'm going to show this choke, but it's a really dangerous one. And so no one volunteered, but young Carlos volunteered. And then he was about to apply the choke. And then he was like, no, can't do this choke to you because you're going to be a future champion. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the truth is when you look at the historical record, it's there's like vision a, quest or something. There, there's a, there's <laughs> right before he ripped off his underwear and yeah. held it up on yeah. the scale. <laughs> I, when you look at the historical record, there is essentially no support for the notion that any of the Gracies trained extensively directly with Maeda, right? And the debate is actually, did they ever meet him? And based on what I read, I think they probably did. But they trained under his lineage, right? So he had a, a, a head instructor, a primary student whose name was Jacinto Ferro. And again, this is a guy who's completely out of, uh, you know, the, the, the story, the origin myth, right? But almost certainly this was the primary means of transmitting jujitsu knowledge to Carlos and then ultimately to the, most to the likely family. Their prim, most likely their primary instructor. Right. Because it, it's cooler it to say I trained with Maeda, not I trained with a oh, guy sure. who trained with Maeda. Well, so that's the thing. Maeda's primary role was actually creating excitement for judo and jujitsu and then lending credibility to all of these different people in Brazil. You know, it's sort of like if you wanted to say, I'm opening a pro wrestling school, and everybody's like, well, who are you? You're not even from the country where pro wrestling comes from. And you're or if like, you well, started actually, a jiu-jitsu podcast, let's yeah. say, and people are like, who are you? <laughs> but, but the pro wrestling, I'll, I'll stay away from podcasting, but the pro wrestling, if you were like, Hulk Hogan was my instructor. I learned directly from Hulk Hogan. Sure. I mean, all of a sudden you have instant credibility, and everyone would say, okay, well, you're Brazilian, but if you learn directly from Hulk Hogan... And so that's basically everybody claimed they learned from Maeda, not just the Gracies. Everyone claimed they right. learned from Maeda, right? There were many Japanese immigrant judokas in Brazil at that time. There's not just one guy spreading this sure. throughout Brazil. There, he wasn't the first one. Maeda was not the first one to come over by one. many years. So. It's just not a strong enough origin story in the mythology of But the, it's a great story. Terry Bolia, by the way. You would want to say Terry Bolia, not think Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan Maeda had had such <laughs> Sorry. a... Sorry. <laughs> I don't know, did he? Maeda had had a huge like media tour for years beforehand. Like He came from Japan. He, came with, he went to the United States. Like Teddy Roosevelt, like the history of like Teddy Roosevelt doing like judo and wrestling and learning stuff like that. And like he was all over the United States, like doing these tours to like talk about judo and like <laughs> to talk about judo and like build it up. And, and so by the time he actually made it down to Brazil, like, yeah, he had like media following like within the rest of the world. So there was that name recognition. So by the time was it Gustav Gracie like finally met him Gustav was like a circus owner circus and brothel owner there you go very important uh by the time like he met him like yeah he was same a... idea <laughs> yeah. on Instagram because like, couldn't check that out there there will be after this <laughs> at circus and brothel and so like it was a huge thing like there was credence to it like even if you just met him and he's like hey will you teach my kids judo and he's like okay well i'm i'm gonna go somewhere else but my students here why don't you train with him it's that lineage like if you if you look up anyone on bjj heroes or wikipedia or whatever as a black belt you see their lineage it's like you know like 
Kano, Maeda, like down the line to whoever you're, whoever you are, whoever your instructor is like, it's that like people are so focused. Like Maeda is always there for everybody, but it's cause it sounded good. And jokes aside, I think the things that would be most surprising to people about the origin of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is how important the circus and pro wrestling were. Yeah. I didn't Incredibly. agree to jokes aside, <laughs> but all right. Incredibly yeah. important. Yeah. So when I was in Brazil, I will, I'll leave all, I'll leave some of the names out. Um, but we were in a van driving around Brazil. To a circus or a brothel. Um, <laughs> we'll edit that later. I think they're the same. But <laughs> anyway, um, we're, we're driving around. We're kind of like on a tour. And um, somebody in the van is telling these stories. You know, and this happened in this year. And in, in this part of the town, these two guys got in a fight. And then this happened. And then... We would get to another part of town. This happened, and then we actually were driving up into the mountains above Rio. And over here, this happened. And finally, one of the guys in the van was like, are any of these stories actually true? And the guy telling the story turns around and says, do you want to hear a good story or not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, the, he, he pulled the, this movie so unrealistic. <laughs> well, yeah, if it was realistic, it would suck. I think I went to work do again. Do you want to hear a good story or not? So I, I love jiu-jitsu so much and it made me want to research the history right and before i started that when i would picture maeda i pictured like a mr miyagi type i pictured this guy who was like i don't know what you know like catching flies with chopsticks and the whole deal and then carlos comes in and you know he's learning like daniel son or something the truth is maeda he was about that circus life so he was like traveling around first in america then cuba then brazil and he had a, a troop of, you know, other Japanese uh, jiu-jitsu or judo. The terms were used interchangeably then. And they're putting on a show. So they're going to these circuses. And it was like a real circus show, like feats of strength, you know, watch Maeda bend this iron bar, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, they would do like a demonstration where they would demonstrate like, uh, you know, this is self-defense techniques and these are banned moves. Uh, they would have matches with each other. Those matches were almost certainly fixed. And that's a whole other thing to talk about with the, the whole history. Um, but at some point, they would do a challenge. And the challenge was like, okay, anybody from the audience, any size, any age, whatever, you can come up. And, and then there'd be two tiers. And there was a certain payout if you could last like five minutes, you know, with these guys, um, you know, fighting Maeda, let's say. And then there was a much higher payout. It was like 10 times as much if you could actually defeat them, right? And the, the sum, like this, this other guy, I think his name is Shaw, he, he runs uh, Dirty White Belt, that podcast. He calculated the amounts, and it was a lot of money. Like, it was a lot of money that you could potentially win in the circus act, right? If you could actually defeat Maeda or one of his troop. And no one ever did, um, but it was like a show, and that's what Maeda was doing in Brazil. He wasn't there to teach and start a lineage. You know, he wasn't there, uh, you know, he was basically there to earn money. Yeah. Was it, is, you mentioned the feats of strength thing. You'll see a similar parallel in the history of like Olympic weightlifting and strongman and stuff. You, it goes back to people who were lifting big heavy weights, mm -hmm. but it's a sideshow circuses act. Yeah. because that's how I make some money. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't invalidate any of it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, it lends itself to stories. Well, sure. and might have got some good challenges. Like there were some legit like wrestlers would try against them and just get pinned 
almost immediately there was some story whether it's true or not i don't know some capoeira master and like he allowed him to use a knife in the fight and he beat him in like 15 seconds or something crazy so i mean again is it real who knows but i mean i'm sure back then i mean think of think of anyone walking in off the streets to do jujitsu who's never done anything before let alone someone who wrestled 20 years ago or whatever they get on the mats most of the time they have no idea what they're doing like getting through warm-ups or training or whatever they're just like gasping for air and that's now i mean there's plenty of options for fit you can go to anytime fitness or buy a treadmill or whatever however many other sports you could have done let alone training against someone whose job was to do this back in the 50s when they thought you could lose weight by like tying a belt around you and like shaking you really fast i'm still testing that yeah so like regardless of what how they might rank like now you know like chris howders i'm sure plenty of people famously said you put any purple belt against a black belt world champion from 20 years ago and the purple belt wins it's just a game. it's just a different game so there you go paulie paulie's got a chance yeah with right uh, <laughs> that back uh but you know like they were still it was still like legitimate regardless of what you call it like they were still amazing at what they did yeah so even if there was staged show elements yeah well the challenge is still open i think that's the difficult balance is realizing realizing that there's plenty of bullshit in history Mm -hmm. and understanding there's also legitimacy Mm -hmm. like it doesn't it doesn't discredit what they did if people are telling these bullshit stories about it the problem is is when those stories start to be told as if like they're set in stone it's like it's official story and it's like well who makes the official story exactly well whoever has the most students to repeat the story <laughs> like, well there really is no official story no. but but and most accounts I've heard, the challenge matches at the circuses were completely real. Like yeah. people would come out of the audience and they would try their hardest, and they <laughs> couldn't defeat Maeda in his truth. Yeah, I mean, we probably all remember the first time we did jujitsu. I mean, I had done karate for years. I had boxed. I had done a little bit of judo, and I was literally like, I was like, what is happening to me? I was like, I cannot believe another human can do this to me, because I had no idea what jujitsu was. Oh, I, I remember. that happened to me this morning, and I started like two years ago. So. Yeah, I remember coming from jujitsu or from uh, Muay Thai and boxing and first time I went into a gym and I'm waiting for class to get done so we could do like the, and I could try my intro class, trial class and I'm watching these guys like doing drills and I'm literally watching them like I have no idea what the hell they're doing. Like I can still see them in my head. I'm like, oh, they were kind of like simulating going north south for a Kimura. Like they didn't have anyone against them. They were just like doing it on their own. But it's like it's a different world. Like half the stuff we teach, it's like it, your instinct isn't to do that. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's so to know even a little bit of that up on stage and have some rando come out of the crowd. Yeah, your money is safe. Well, because especially if they've been drinking or if they're like, oh, for fifty thousand dollars, I have to survive for five minutes or whatever. Like, yeah, okay, I'll give that a shot. Like the guy's not going to kill me, but I'm not going to beat him. Well, like how many people are like, what is it like? take a punch from Mike Tyson or whatever. Like I remember my grandpa used to say that when Tyson was originally like on his run. I was like, oh, I'd get in there with him for a few rounds. But like, grandpa, you would kill you. For a few rounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're gonna prop I know up. it was it was never even like a round. <laughs> a few rounds. Now I still wouldn't exactly say my grandpa didn't have a chance, but it's like, do you really want all the medical bills and you know just you know dying in the ring? 
but yeah, I mean, it's all, it's just a balancing act. And like I said, it's just, do you really need to ardently believe some of this stuff? Like you can, you can just like jujitsu too without falling into, oh, well I heard, especially, you know, Hickson 400 no. I mean, I'm sure there's still plenty of people who are like, oh, they got the black belt from Hickson. Like, yeah. Okay. People, people have, people got their black belt from Hickson. Like people get their black belt from Hadra Gracie, Marcelo Garcia, and Hadra who? Exactly. Well, Hadra Gomes. Gomes. And, you know, and, and ultimately I think the idea that the Gracie's, you know, Carlos in particular did for a couple of years uh, before he left Balim, he did receive training from Justin Tofero, from Donato Pius Dos Hayes, which is the other big name that has been kind of buried, right? Um, and those guys had learned from Maeda. So it's not like the whole thing is farcical, right? I mean, it's just that they wanted to use the biggest name for their marketing, you know? And ultimately, the Gracies have a history of kind of having falling outs with people, and they had uh, falling out with the Donato, for example. So he was the guy that actually uh, founded and was the original head instructor uh, of what became known as the Gracie Academy in Rio. And so when you see all these patches that say, like, founded in 1925, mm, no. Uh, it, it actually was Donato who founded this academy, and he called it the Academy of Jiu-Jitsu, right? And he had two junior instructors. And those two junior instructors were Carlos and George Gracie, right? So there's no question what the hierarchy was there. Um, but then they had a falling out in very Gracie fashion. They showed up and jumped them, <laughs> you know, where it's multiple guys on one guy. And then all of a sudden he's out of the gym. They're taking over the gym and they're rebranding it. So it's opened in 1930, I believe. And then in 1932, it's rebranded the Gracie Academy. And that's the one that you always hear about. So that's where it starts. Uh, subjectively, yeah. The, the current story. Yeah, so they received their training from these students of Maeda, right? Donato and then and Jacinto Ferro when they're in Belim, and then they move to Rio, uh, and there's this, this long period where they're not training because they were only doing that training there for like two years. There's this long peri period where they're not training, and then when Donato opens this academy, he invites these two Gracie brothers to be assistant instructors, and that's kind of where it starts as far as like they start doing the challenge matches, uh, you know, they start getting some fame and the thirties and the forties is kind of like the, the heyday in a sense of them being in the news a lot, you know, all the way up to kind of like, I suppose the pinnacle of that would be like the Helio versus Kimura fights, uh, in the forties, which were like in huge stadiums and like, you know, national attention, all of that kind of stuff. They were super fights. They were like super fights. Yeah. Keep going. Um, tell me the story. Tom, we'll fact check as we go if we need to. Well, so the, you know, the, they have a falling out with George. And, you know, because originally Helio's not involved. He's kind of late to the party. And it starts out that it's just George and Carlos. And like I mentioned, um, Carlos had some fights that were really well publicized uh, with another judo practitioner named Gio Amori. And that's the other big name. So Donato, Jacinto, and then Gio Amori. Those are the three big names that everyone should know. And arguably, those pictures should probably be on the wall, um, you know, next to Carlos and Helio, especially if you're going to have Maeda on the wall. Those guys should be on the wall. Those three are Maeda. Those three. Like, well, Gio Amori is sense. not a Maeda guy. He was a very skilled, uh, you know, judo practitioner in his own right. Um, and he was like 
like when you think of like these challenge of like take on all comers, he really did. He would fight on any rule set, gi no gi, you know, he didn't care. He would fight anybody and he was amazing. Uh, and the evidence seems to suggest that he was also an important teacher uh, of Carlos and ultimately a good friend of Carlos. But again, you know, falling out. So he's left out of the story. Was that two falling outs or three? You were, you <laughs> there are so many well, falling I, outs. I was, was going to track the story based on falling outs. <clears throat> There's a lot. Just within the family. Yeah. Is there a thing with numerology? Because there's a, there's a jiu-jitsu the podcast. Personal life? That's like cracking open the hole. <laughs> no, uh, uh, Croiler Gracie, who's third or fourth generation now or whatever, he's got a podcast called Just Jiu-Jitsu. Uh-huh. And he goes into a lot of those. Like, And he's got like you know part one, part two, part three of some of the lore and history. And that's why all their names start with K's and R's. So and at some this. point, I, Carlo, Carlos takes on this role as they start to believe within the family like he's a mystic. Yeah. He can predict like things are going to happen. And these are like the parts in the biography that are, re- as he said, this was going to happen and this happened. And, and that's what I tell people. It's like, okay, you know, you know, you know, this is not believable. So don't believe it. Just take out of the, take out of the story what you find valuable. But he does. He starts to take on this, like he's a mystic. He can like, you know, he can wheel these things into being and stuff. Right. So when you listen to people that can fall into that narrative years later, you start to get into numerology and, you know, and, oh, if I name my kid with this, starts with this letter, that's going to guarantee they're going to be successful in life, right? But that's what his role at some point becomes. That, the Gracie diet, um, he pulls pretty much so away from jujitsu in all reality at some point in his life. Um, I'm planning on doing that too. And so when, you know, and when the patriarch pulls away, right, that allows other people to come in and start to create a narrative around a different person that maybe has a little bit of an embellishment of story because you got to think like Corian Gracie's like foresight into I'm going to go to America. I'm going to do this first. Eventually I'm going to start this thing and I'm going to use it as a marketing platform for our martial art. And that took a lot of like um, anticipation on his part. So that's just like that didn't happen overnight before he left Brazil he probably was already planning out the steps of, and then right things line up, meets the right people, right? Pay-per-view at that time's huge, right? Watching professional wrestling or whatever people were watching. They get on pay-per-view. And then, and to be honest, like the all the negatives around the sport, the sport becomes banned, ultimately probably helps the sport, Right. Bringing all of this like, oh, like, you know, banned in so many states. And then finally the people come in and they turn this into what it is today. Um, But I I tell people like because people ask, like, I've watched him teach. He's a very good instructor. But then you there's videos of him doing jujitsu and you look at his brothers doing jujitsu. There's a completely different level of like a guy like Hickson or Horler doing jujitsu versus Horion. But. He was the brains behind creating this empire that they created, right? But there were circumstances that happened in Brazil that allowed him to basically slide in and like, well, I'm going to turn this story into my father is this unbeatable figure and our family's unbeatable. I'm going to go to America and I'm going to do this and this and this. So he should be, there's some negatives about the way he went about some things. Sure. Yeah. But from a, you know, you think about it like, the UFC probably does not exist in any form or fashion without Horion Gracie. No, I feel like they've been ta- they've been 
there have been conversations about some version of the UFC before that. I'm sure since the formation of more than one martial art, I'm sure which one's better. But I think nobody could figure it out. And Horian just kind of turned into that guy who kind of had the connections in Hollywood. I think he even got connected with like John Milius, the had old the screenwriter. Yeah, he had the charisma. Because I think I think uh, Milius, who's probably most well known for being a screenwriter, like the 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 Quint uh, monologue in Jaws, was reported to be John Milius came up with that. Um, just the the concept of like they almost wanted to make it weirder. Like I think there was a point where they wanted to moat around they the, to moat outside, with alligators with around alligators there. around the outside, <laughs> and <be> pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think they were trying to like put all that together, and then where maybe it's just me personally, like I get confused is, so the first UFC was 94, 93, right? 93. So we're 27 years removed from an event. And there are so many different versions of how that first event even went. It's insane. The version Ken Shamrock tells, the version Talia Tuli tells, the version Gerard Doe tells, the version the Gracies tell, like they're all different. The version Art Davy tells, the version Bob Marowitz tells. Yeah, it's all different. It's unbelievable how different all their narratives can possibly be for the exact same event that wasn't that long ago. And I understand that some of it, you know, like Ken Shamrock's case, part of its relevance. People are still paying attention to him if he comes up with this new story, like, oh, well. You, the reason I didn't win is because I couldn't wear my wrestling shoes or whatever. Or I didn't think it was real until I saw the first fight and Gerard Gordo got a tooth stuck in his foot. And like just the, the overall concept of like everything just like just got so muddled like with UFC. But I would almost argue that the history of the Gracies becomes more muddled because of the UFC too. Because oh, now sure. jujitsu is the winner, right? They're they're the king of the mountain. For the first three UFCs, yeah, first three UFCs, jujitsu has proven that they win. Hoist is the champion, all this stuff. So now that mythology just has to blow up. Now people are just excited to tell the stories. Now the people like, you know, like the Dirty Dozen who were training jujitsu before they could even get people to do jujitsu. Like you were trying to like pull people off the street for the private lessons. Now they're the insiders and like, but they've got the stories to tell. Like they were the first ones, like they're the ones in SoCal like going all, through all this stuff. But I'm also kind of impressed is like some of those old school guys. And maybe it's the difference between Americans telling the story and Brazilians telling the story. A lot of their stories seem a lot more pragmatic of like, we were training in a garage. Like, yeah, it was this really cool thing. It's like, cause I liked martial arts, but it wasn't like necessarily mythology as much as, yeah, man, like they kick my ass. And then like, and then you do it for a little while and you kick this other guy's ass. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just do it for like, a few months. And then yeah. You know, it was like this super simple version instead of, you know, Moses went on the mountain and stuff and came down with tablets. Like it, it was just like, it was just this thing. Cause we like fighting. <laughs> I was I was uh, I was doing karate at the time, and this was also the time I think when professional wrestling was like somewhat risque, like really like it might be a little bit over the top. Sure, uh, like right getting into the the. Oh, I don't know what the era was called, but it was what was the Gen X? It wasn't necessarily kid friendly. X. Yeah, what was the, the Attitude Era? 
It was like right when that was killed. So Lingerie yeah, like that. So the idea yeah. of having a moat around the octagon with alligators, like probably would fit right into that kind of era. So I was doing karate at the time, and you know, Hori accomplished exactly what he wanted to accomplish. Because I mean, you're doing karate, and karate is really popular at the time. Like you know, a lot of people were running successful karate studios, and of course, it started off as like, oh, this is a, you know, this is going to pass, and like this is all being premeditated, and like you know, this is going to be okay. And then a few UFCs go by, and it's all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, we have to find somebody to teach jujitsu, because if we don't, we're all going to go out of business. And then it's like, well, who do we find to teach jujitsu? It's like, well, we don't know anybody in the United States that teaches jujitsu except these guys and. California, right? So then what do you start to do? Oh, well, then there's a Gracie instructional, right? So it accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish. And when I was the first one, I actually watched the first one on VHS like a month after it happened. So I had heard it was going to happen. And at the time I was in college and taking a, uh, we had a judo class you could take in college. So I was taking the judo class and the guy that was teaching the judo class, who actually now I don't think actually knew judo, but he knew some kind of martial arts. So he said he was teaching judo. All uh, he needed was that you didn't know judo. All he needed was a black belt and something. It's like, we don't know. It looks like we're throwing somebody against his judo. Yeah. Uh, so he watches it live and he films it. And he was like, guys, I'm going to bring it in. We're going to, like, the class is going to watch this thing that happened, like style versus style. And you think about where the, like, where the sport is today. Because uh, we watched the first one, and he was like, oh, do you guys think, like, the Gracie family is just going to continue to win all of these? And we all just thought it was just going to continue to be, over the years, style versus style versus style, which makes no logical sense, right? If somebody's beating you with the same thing, eventually people are going to go learn it, and that's what happened. Right now, everybody does jujitsu, wrestling, boxing, Thai boxing that are in those events. But we, when it first happened, we just always thought it would stay like the arts would stay pure. Okay, we'll always have jujitsu, we'll always have karate. And this idea of like, we're going to, these things are going to start to become blended together, that didn't seem. And of course, that's what happened. But the anticipation was so it was like, so it was very territorial. It was like, okay, if they keep winning, then we have to have a jujitsu instructor. It was like, well, where do you get a jiu-jitsu instructor? California or Brazil? Well, who do you call? You call Horian Gracie. Or the Machados. Or the Machado brothers. Who don't get enough credit, in my opinion, at least in the mythology. Because... How do they fit in? Well, so the Machados... The Machados are... I don't know the term. They're technically cousins of the Gracies because their, their aunt was married to Carlos. So technically the Machados and Gracies are related. And so they started training jujitsu, not unlike the Gracies, like it was kind of when you were a kid, like you trained jujitsu, et cetera. But the, the Machados came to America. If I remember right, the Machados came to America before the Gracies did and they brought jujitsu with them and they started teaching jujitsu. They're like, we know jujitsu, let's teach jujitsu. And I don't know if this is bullshit or not, but it's my favorite story is that you know the the bruce lee movie dragon where like the whole thing about like oh you can't teach like guaylo you can't teach him kung fu you can't teach him our secrets we're gonna have to have a challenge match whatever supposedly that really happened in real life but it was nothing like the movie it was actually very like ridiculous like a guy ran around in circles for like a minute and then bruce lee punched him and it was over well that sort of thing supposedly according to the machados the way i heard it that sort of thing almost happened with the Gracies and the Machados. That the Machados started teaching 
and the Gracies kind of just didn't have control over it. They didn't have control over the Machados, like like Corian was able to control the narrative, like under Helio, etc. They were doing their own thing, and supposedly the Gracies got super pissed, and they were ready to do what they did. They were ready to like dojo storm them and like get into like a big Machado versus Gracie fight, which sounds amazing. Uh, and it's going to be a great movie. And supposedly it got stopped at the last minute. By Helio, actually. Not because Helio didn't want him to fight, but because Helio, they realized that the Machado's sister worked for the INS. And she was actually the one helping to process their green cards into the country. She's like, if you fight them, <laughs> we don't get to go to the United States. Like, we're done. We're going to stay here. And they were kind of like, all right, maybe we should just chill out and like open some garages in SoCal. But it's largely the Machados that helped that initial spread into the United States, what is it, the nine of the 12 Dirty Dozen are under Machados? Most of them. Oh, really? I had to see. Now, that's a factoid. I was completely yeah, unfamiliar the majority, with. Because, like, at the time, like, you know, even, like, some of the early people that did the UFC that were like, well, we need to go learn this thing, but we're fighting, you know, their brother or their cousin. They started going to the Machado brothers to learn Jiu-Jitsu. It's like, because, you know, they're, they have their own thing at that point. So, well, we need to learn Jiu-Jitsu. You know, obviously, I might fight Hoyce. I can't go train at Hoyce's gym. So they started, they started going to train with the Machados. So a lot of the early, like, MMA development, well, it's not even really MMA at that point, but a lot of the early people outside of the, you know, the Gracie family coming in knowing jiu-jitsu, a lot of it's directly contributed to the Machado family. Yeah, like, you see those old videos of, like, Chuck Norris. Like, when Chuck Norris first, like, met the Machados, or like, he was a heavyweight champion of the world. And, like, there's the actual, like, film of him going in to fight. I think it was Hegan. Maybe it wasn't. Um, it would have been Carlos. But there was, like, the fight of him being, like, he's, like, the two-time heavyweight world karate full contact champion, whatever. Goes in, like, gets in his stance. They kind of square off for a little bit. He gets taken down and, like, tapped out within, like, 60 seconds. And, like, that spurred, like, Chuck Norris is suddenly, like, wait a second, like my ideology is like broken. And this is even before the first UFC. So like there was that impact that was happening. It was just the UFC that turned into the catalyst of like wider adoption. But a lot of it, yeah, it was the Machados. And, you know, all credit to the Machados. They also, like like Horian was an incredible marketer, obviously. The Machados, you can't pretend like they didn't have their eye on the dollars. They still do. Hegan is all over Hollywood. Mm. Like he started like the Hollywood like. You don't think Ashton Kusher is that good? <laughs> well, according to his private classes, he is. <laughs> I mean, Hegan started the first program that I remember hearing about, where like celebrities could take jujitsu and never, never roll. actually like train. With yeah, them. they were never. It was private. So it was like old school Gracie stuff, yeah. like back in the fifties and stuff. Like it was only private sessions. It wasn't like jujitsu now, where it's like an actual class full of people. It was one on one. It was. No, it makes his living doing that, basically. Yeah. It was like 36 classes or something, and then you're ready for your whatever belt rank. Or yeah, whatever. so like in modern history, like Horion is this key figure. UFC, lawsuits, him suing people in his family, people in his family suing him. Um, Do you know what he's referencing? He actually tried to copyright Gracie, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Jiu and said no one else, even the other Gracies, could, so Hickson, could use the term. So when Hickson opens his first academy... It can't be called Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. He has to call it Hickson Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. That's specifically because of Horion Gracie. Right? So the guy that's in the family highly acknowledges the best living Gracie. Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to go start my gym. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go make a living for my family. Well, you can't call it that. And if you do, I'm going to sue you. Uh, but he's such a key figure in the thing because when you talk about it, like all the people that had to like delineate from him. But then when you talk about the Machado brothers, like Jean-Jacques like is loves Hickson, right? So, you know, uh, the Machados were students under Hickson. They're, they're students under Holes, okay? And then there's this figure who basically, <laughs> in large part, you know, a lot of us owe our, our livelihood to at this point, but he's such a divisive figure. And it, but he's so charismatic. When you, like, see him talk and, like, he's like, oh, like, this is why people are drawn to him. But he's so cutthroat, so cutthroat. Right. It's like, oh, you're my brother, but you can't use this. I control the narrative. I control the family. Uh, yeah, he's sued multiple people. Well, yeah, it's like jujitsu is what it is because of me, because exactly. I did this for the UFC. Yeah. People are showing up, even asking you what it's about because of me. And he's not wrong. I mean, he's not. You know, I mean, think how much we all love jujitsu. Uh, it's incredibly unlikely that any of us would be doing jujitsu without Horian. Without Horian. Yeah. And I think you could argue that that combination of Horian and Hoist, you know, as the person who actually had to win those fights. And that's probably the most important martial artist in the history of the world, second only to Cano, you know, inventing judo. And Eddie Bravo. Well, and Eddie Bravo, of course, yeah. Look into it. Well, no, I know which last part. Last part was facetious. It's a lot to look into. It's a lot to look into. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I actually do believe Eddie Bravo's, Eddie Bravo's probably, in my opinion, the most important figure in jiu-jitsu in like the last 20 years. Oh, he should be on the on the Mount, Mount Everest, Everest for yeah. me, yeah. Because what he, what I said. No, put him on Mount you Everest. You guys, Mount Everest, and my Mount Everest. Put him on Everest. Different. Yeah, <laughs> my Everest. Everest. Put him up there. Got a bunch of guys that won world titles, but anyway. Put him on. The, <laughs> put him on the. No, I not because not because he's good at jujitsu, because of what he did at jujitsu, mm-hmm. because of what he did. So, so he, he's a similar figure to Horian, arguably, in, in the Horian. history of it. To me, because what? Not even close. My, not even close. Because my, my the UFC exists because of Horian. Yes, because of Horian. Rubber I'm not guard saying he's more important than Rubber Horian. guard. Like we don't get Eddie Bravo without Horian. Have I you understand. Smoke serpent. I mean, he, he but, offered a lot ish that maybe you're not acknowledging. I mean, but I have nothing against Eddie Bravo. Like I think Eddie Bravo is like a great martial artist. He's done great things with his team. But to put him in the same sentence in the martial arts world as Elio Gracie, Horian Gracie. I'll get there. Pr- That's pr- a stretch. Oh, well, we'll let John do this, yeah, but yeah. practically. Maybe I'll let not you try to a, get there, but sure. you will never get there. <laughs> maybe oh. not as like a maybe not as like a magnitude, but like his impact is parallel. No, right? it's not. As, who, as a marketing it's not even who has had a bigger impact in any sport from a match that didn't win him a medal? In any in any sport. sport. So we're talking about a niche sport that exactly. outside of this room nobody knows what it is. Sure. And inside of this room. (laughs) So Eddie Eddie Bravo beats Hoyler Gracie at ADCC. It's not for a medal. He didn't win gold, regardless of people seem to think he won gold with the match or something. He didn't. He he didn't even get third place in that ADCC. From this, from that one match, like what he was able to do with marketing and his push for the twister, but regardless of what you think of the twister and rubber guard and his system, I don't care about any of it personally. What, the way he was able to market, arguably, a very big win. Sure, beating Hoyler is a huge deal. And then a loss, I think, to Leo Vieira. I think Leo beat him like 20 nothing or something. What he was able to do with that to create this association, but not just this association, but to give more 
credence to no gi jujitsu on top of it. Before Eddie Bravo, like, yeah, ADCC, I mean, ADCC 2000, 2003, like, they still, they were fine. I mean, you saw, but you had, like, wrestlers who had no jujitsu experience coming in. You had, like, Mark Kerr, who was a great fighter, but to suddenly have him, like, if, if the equivalent of Mark Kerr was suddenly invited to ADCC now, it'd be weird. Like, why would Mark Kerr, some, like, just a guy who was a good fighter, be introduced? What he was able to do as far as, like, the marketing side and getting attention to jiu-jitsu off of that one match and specifically expanding no-gi jiu-jitsu, I think can't be overlooked. I was already doing no-gi jiu-jitsu before I ever heard of Eddie Bravo, but go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so it didn't matter to Ish. No, but, I actually have a lot of respect for what Eddie Bravo has done. Yeah, I don't have a lot of marketing. respect for Eddie Bravo, to be fair. But what he did. I, I, I mean, he believes in some religious things. Yeah. I actually think Eddie's a really good guy. I actually think the guy... Uh, I've he's been a good storyteller. Him. He's a great storyteller. He, 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 he talks a lot, but yeah. I think he's a really good guy. Um, but he obviously has some conspiracy things that I, yeah. I don't agree with. You mean the but truth? I think, but I think he's a good mm-hmm. guy. I think he's done a great job with Tim Planet, right? But I don't think you can put him on the same level as a person that created, that is the primary, one of the primary reasons for an event. If you walk on the street, everybody knows what it is. You can walk down the street and ask anybody, you know what the UFC is? And who's going to say no? You can walk down the street Nerds. and ask, do you know what 10th Planet is? Is that like another planet we discovered in our solar system? Nobody's going to know except us. Yeah, because Horian already created the UFC. I'm not saying that Eddie Bravo recreated something. I'm saying what Eddie Bravo did to extenuate the marketing of jiu-jitsu and get more attention to jiu-jitsu and a different facet of jiu-jitsu that wasn't getting the same level of attention as traditional No, and I think that's impressive, but that's nothing compared to creating the UFC. It's but a nobody else could have also created the UFC. It existed. It's a similar inflection point, though. Is what oh, he's you saying. Mean people complete, create new sports all the time. I, I guess I'm the UFC more, existed. There was no UFC. I guess I'm more in the ish camp on this one. I know this is all a sidebar, but like I would actually say Joe Rogan is more important. Yeah, I think Joe Rogan, and I am no Joe Rogan fan, but uh, he's super important. But I think he's actually more important than Eddie Bravo. And if you were going to do a Mount Rushmore, I mean, maybe you're and not. Joe Rogan to. doesn't exist without Eddie Bravo. Joe Rogan became friends with Eddie Bravo through jiu-jitsu. Joe Rogan jiu-jitsu. did jiu-jitsu with the Machado brothers before he knew. Was he a black belt under Machado I'm not saying first? Eddie Bravo has not been super influential on Joe Rogan. That's for sure true. But Joe Rogan does jiu-jitsu without Eddie Bravo. Yeah, now. He would have but done Joe Rogan jiu-jitsu. Was, but he Joe would have Rogan done was jiu-jitsu. with him at ADCC. He would have done jiu-jitsu if he'd never met Eddie Bravo. I don't know if it would have continued on the same path. Even oh, I'm, not saying, UFC, I'm not saying it wouldn't have. I mean, er, or even early have. UFCs that Joe Rogan was commentating. I'm Joe just Rogan saying, wasn't doing play-by-play. Eddie Bravo was doing play-by-play. Yeah, play I'm just saying Joe Rogan at some point does jiu-jitsu. Sure. If yeah. he knows. If he does Eddie Bravo, he doesn't know Eddie Bravo. So I just don't. Well, I'm not, I'm not ranking at levels of importance either. I'm looking no, at no, a timeline of importance. Mount Rushmore, sure. Mount Everest. Mount Everest. That's ranking. Yeah. Mount Everest. <laughs> okay. So I'm just saying, let's back, off on, Trench. let's back off on that yeah. a little bit. Let's not put Eddie Bravo in the Mount Rushmore of jiu-jitsu. I think, that's a, I think Eddie Bravo would even say, well, that's a stretch. Okay, well, fucking no, hold on then. Who's on Mount Rushmore? Uh, from a competitive standpoint? No. no importance okay, who's on for jiu-jitsu? Mount Rushmore? Importance for jiu-jitsu. They're two different things. Uh, I think number one is Cano. It's 
the founder of judo because without judo there's no brazilian jiu-jitsu that's where it came from that's why we invited tom because we're gonna get real actual nerd answers instead of you two fuckers damn i resemble that remark uh number been a lot more lovely if this was tequila instead of bourbon i like the way whoa 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 bourbon tequila is not oh Oh, here we go hold on this is the good stuff i'll turn your mic off you go ahead so i would go cano and then I think you've got to say the Gracie brothers, right? I mean, Carlos in particular, right? And I think that their incredible contribution is being stubborn. They refused to be assimilated into judo. They were not going to allow what they saw as their distinct art, even though it really wasn't a distinct art initially, uh, to be absorbed. And just about everyone else in Brazil and elsewhere, they were absorbed. Hey, we used to call it jiu-jitsu and judo, and those were interchangeable, but now... This is our art. This is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. This is Gracie jiu-jitsu, right? And at first it wasn't any different. It was just this sort of like, you know, ground fighting oriented judo. But they stayed with it for so long. And even during the darkest days of the 60s and 70s when no one gave a shit about jiu-jitsu in Brazil or anywhere else. I mean, I can't like overemphasize how unpopular it was. No one cared at all, right? They stuck with it. And they stuck with it long enough, and they were lucky in a sense that the judo rules continued to morph more and more away from newazara ground fighting, right, and emphasize throws. Uh, you know, in the ipan, the idea of like sudden, you know, that it could suddenly end if you threw someone on their back. And as a result, they created this giant gap, this gap in ground fighting. Uh, and that allowed the Gracies to come in and specialize and say, well, this is really what it's all about. It's about ground fighting. So... They would certainly be on there, and then... I think Elio is more important than Carlos, easily. Okay. Because I think, eventually, Carlos would not have done jiu-jitsu. Hmm. I mean, his later life has all kinds of indications that this is not what he's interested in anymore. Hmm. Right, this is something that Elio Gracie was like involved in some degree, till. But Carlos was way more so into the I diet, think if, esoteric. I think, I think yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, them together is probably the real the answer. Yeah. But I think if Elio Gracie does not exist... Uh, in his form, I think eventually we may not even know who Carlos Gracie is mm-hmm. because he loses interest, I think, in jiu-jitsu as he gets a little bit older. That's interesting. So so who's the fourth spot? Uh, then I would go to Horian. Uh, I think Horian is incredible. From a development standpoint, man, he's just like, it's amazing what the guy did. And then, God, would I go and to he's Joe guy, Rogan And he's the guy that took the risk, right? I mean, he's the guy that, I'm going to try to do this thing. All right, I'm going to take every last dollar I have and... Ish is a shill for Big Horian, I think. Yeah, yeah. he loves Three's Company. Ish is an enormous <laughs> Three's Company fan. It's a little known Ish factor. But I think there's so much negative. I think do. there's so much negative around him nowadays because everybody knows the stories. Yeah, yeah. Like people start to forget. Like, oh, man, we don't even. We're not even talking about these stories. Probably if it's not this guy, right? This is not maybe necessarily, you know, a guy I would ever want to like do business with because, you know, as soon as the business is successful, he's probably going to try to figure out how to cut you out of it. Right, but I don't think you can underestimate. And sometimes that's the kind of person it takes to do something like that's this. That's kind of what I was going to say: is welcome to winning a little bit. Yeah, I mean, who really thinks Elon Musk is a good guy? He seems right? cool. Yeah. Uh, and then you he know, smoked I, a Jay on Rogan. So fuck what yeah, the hell? Bro. But it took him to create and change basically the world yeah. when it comes to electric cars. There'll be all kinds of negative stories. There are and will be about him. You and think Elon be, Musk really worries about the guy working on the line? That's what I'm saying. They, they will be true, and yet the world will progress to wherever it progresses as a result. Because of him. 
Yeah. All right. And, and alongside Horian, I think you would have to acknowledge Hoist because at the end of the day, if he didn't win those fights, we're also not having these conversations. Yeah. And you could say, well, he could have beat anybody, you know, if you're a, not a jujitsu guy. But you look at like Ken Shamrock. I mean, that was not a given, right? It was, but it didn't <laughs> appear to be. How does it sell? <laughs> so we got the facts guy and we got the sales guy. How they knew. It, how does he, it sell? They knew. They just knew. Yeah. All right. They just knew they knew what was going to happen that night. I'm sure there was like some anxiety. It was like, is this really going to go the way we think? Or, you know, but when they when they booked it, they knew what was going to happen. Which one did he cheat and use his gi as a weapon? What? It was, oh, against Ken. Like when he went for that weird modified bulldog choke or whatever. I don't know. You tell me. I yeah, still don't understand how he, he chokes g- him from the side. Yeah, yeah, I still don't quite understand how that choke <laughs> I mean, is that cheating? You got one guy in one boxing glove? Yeah, I mean, glove? he was allowed I mean, to on. wear it. I mean, I don't think that was for uh, uh, Art Jimerson for the best, wearing that one boxing and they, glove. And they had all of these, dope, like, though. oh, he's wearing the gi to absorb the sweat. No, he was wearing the gi because they knew what they wanted, or Horian knew what he wanted to market to. I mean, it didn't matter what Horace Gracie wore into the ring that night. He was going to beat all those guys. Yeah, so, and then just to close out the, the Rogan thing, so it doesn't sound absurd. I mean, here you had a knowledgeable practitioner of the sport doing commentating on these huge shows where he could describe it in a way that was actually accurate and, and interesting to the viewer. I mean, you know, With, the same way through Eddie Bravo. We'll Eddie, put Eddie Bravo on the crazy horse monument that's being worked on. Oh, I like that. Ah, oh, that's it, on the crazy yeah, horse. So it's never going to get finished, <laughs> is what you're saying? Because it's not going to get finished. Um, that is a huge thing. Having yeah. someone explain what's happening as they these two mostly so many naked people dudes. into jujitsu gyms because otherwise so it's like people. stand them up, you right? Know? Which you right. still hear at events, and of course, because honestly, stand them up. Well, yeah, I mean, like like, even to John's point, like on the early ones, like when you know Joe Rogan or Eddie Bravo would be commenting or interviewing or even like scoring some of the rounds, it made a big di- big difference when like people were like scoring rounds or interviewing fighters that actually understood at least one element of what's going on here. As opposed to just somebody that's like, well, this round is 10-9 and this is why. Because Eddie Bravo did that for a while. He was like the, you know, their, you know, whatever they would call it, like unofficial, unofficial, like, you know. He would be allowed uh, to score it and then, yeah. And this is how I viewed the round. But that's like valuable, like when people are getting new to the sport. Oh, Oh, this is why I think it's 10-9 because this guy did this. And he's like, oh, like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you watch those early UFCs when something hits the ground and they're just guessing as to what's going on yeah like and as as someone as a viewer watching it like i remember like so many people who talk about getting into jujitsu they talk about watching those early ufcs and being like oh my god i was so inspired watching i didn't know what the fuck i was like watching i didn't understand it i was like i don't care about any of this like i understand punching and kicking like but i don't understand jujitsu so like the like, none of it made any difference to me. And then you're listening to commentators who don't know what's going on either. They're not helping me to understand it. Mm-hmm. All I see is he's on the ground, and it's like, okay, I guess the guy's choking somehow. Can I'm, but I'm bored, you know. So yeah, so having someone be like actually like enthusiastically. Mm-hmm. Also, that's the that's the huge part. Like, there's one thing to like be like, all right, now he's hanging out in half guard. It's like okay, but like if if there's that enthusiasm where it's like. And 
I remember there was this long time where Joe Rogan always thought people were digging for a Kimura, and I don't know why. Like there were certain positions where it's like he's gonna go for a Kimura. It's like how he's, he's not even in position for a Kimura. What are you talking he's about? Holding his ankle. But like he was enthusiastic about it. Like he'd almost be more enthusiastic when it hit the ground, and like that makes such a huge difference for a fan base. Yeah, to I mean, to like, this day, like even when you see like Eddie Bravo and Joe Rogan on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about jujitsu, yeah. they're like fifty-year-old men now, and they yeah. get like giddy oh, when they geek out about like ADCC. Right? Like I love listening to that because it's infectious. Hearing people talk about things that they love with passion, like, yeah, like, I would listen to that all day, like, master classes or whatever, like, people who are good at what they do being like, this is why this is awesome. That's why Eddie and Alex Jones on Rogan is the best episodes, because, boy, do they get giddy. Oh, it's infectious. And a lot of Rogan. There is not enough tequila so. for that. <laughs> Uh, That's how you kill a podcast. So Matt, I know right you're. There. Not, I know you're not. I know I'm not supposed to ask questions. I think I've been told on this podcast. You can before. ask me questions, <laughs> but uh, I'll cut this out. But anyway, like you have to have like questions about, you know, is this true? Is this accurate? You know, what's the? You know, I've I've heard this. You know, um, we are officially. I've learned more than I ever knew about any of the history of jujitsu. Right not familiar with any of the stories and the bullshit and even the true facts of it because I don't give a shit but you hear so much buzz of all the lore of it all it's just speaking for myself I actually appreciate that I like it a lot more hearing people say I don't I don't necessarily know where it came from but I really like doing it I think it's important to know the history I think it's important to know where it comes from especially if if you're part of a problematic lineage, if you're part of an instructor who hides horrible things like with their students because money or whatever, I think that's important to know those things. But someone who just walks in the gym, it's like, this makes me feel good. Like I feel better about my life. I feel better about more confident or healthier or whatever. Oh, and it started a hundred and some years ago with some guy who did judo. Okay. I guess that's cool. Like I feel better about the people that, haven't hitched like their wagon to like a specific dogma this is, as opposed this is to what the story has to be yeah exactly yeah. like it feels so much better that someone's just like like they find jujitsu and they just love jujitsu as opposed to loving jujitsu and then buying into the company line of that affiliation or you know god forbid if it's 10th planet or or whatever like you have to be able to do this you have to do self-defense otherwise it's not real you have to do single leg x or it's not realistic because you know a world-class competitor would still kick whatever the arguments that we make up for ourselves is insane the purity standards oh my god just the what jujitsu is supposed to be is the dumbest argument that we have over and over again. I've literally had people like ask me like, you know, I was, you know, uh, what do you think about the 10th planet gyms? Like they don't train in the gi. I'm like, I mean, they're doing their thing. Like what's the problem? Right. I mean, I can choose to not train in my gi. I can just do no gi class. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, there's gyms that train only in the gi. There's gyms that train no gi. There's gyms like we, we do both, right? Like we want people to be able to explore both. But like Shivong had a parka on today. But when I hate when, <laughs> when people ask me like, you know, oh, they're not doing it the traditional way. I was like, well, who says they have to do it the traditional way? And like, who even says what the traditional way is? Yeah, and who's and who who makes that decision? Traditionally we starve and die in a famine. We fix that. Yeah. So I'm like I'm like, they're doing their thing. Like they're happy doing their thing. Let them do their thing. Like why why do you have why do people have, want to always interrupt the fun? Like you know, you want to train the gi, go train the gi. You want to do both? You know, my personal opinion is everybody should do both, right? But that doesn't mean you have to, like, you know, well, this is the, as John's saying, like, 
this has to be the lineage that we have to do this. This is the way it was done in 1925. And like to divert away from that is like, we're not honoring that. I'm like, it's a, it's a little ridiculous if you, <laughs> well, and it's, it's ironic because when you think about it throughout its history, you know, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu has been kind of framed as like no. this answer to traditional martial arts where it's like, it's almost like anti-martial, you know, art, right? where it's like, Oh, all this traditional stuff. It turns out it's kind of bullshit. Like that you would do all these katas and somehow that would translate into you being this like, you know, destructive weapon of a person. But you know, it's like a circle. Eventually it comes around and meets itself. Right. I mean, I think the, the, Jiu-Jitsu has gone so far towards this idea of, well, how do we define Jiu-Jitsu and what is real Jiu-Jitsu and what is traditional Jiu-Jitsu that it starts to look more like traditional martial arts? Yes, very ways. much. I, I tell people all the time, like 30, 40 years, like you're going to hear these stories that are going to be like, oh, like this is going to be like the monk on the and at, sitting at the top of the temple and he's levitating and people are going to be like, I'm like, yeah, man, that is the way I was there. That didn't happen. <laughs> it was like, but this is, it's just going to continue. Keenan elevated us to sure. American jujitsu. Oh, right. Jesus. And yeah. a lot of, and, and, and a lot of people that are like, you know, anti sport jujitsu. I'm like, okay, I don't understand why you can be anti sport jujitsu. Like if you don't want to compete or if that's, you don't want to watch it, that's one thing. But the thing jujitsu has going for it, just like wrestling has going for it, all of these mythical stories about, well, this could have happened. No, we can, like, every basically weekend, we can watch a jujitsu tournament and be like, oh, like, this is actually what works. This doesn't work. As opposed to, you know, because I come from a karate background, and, you know, when you're in it, you're, you hear these stories, and you're like, wow. <laughs> and then you get out of it, and you're just like, these stories are such nonsense. He was like, I'm sure that was a tough guy, but, like, like this 75 year old man's can beat me up and I'm 25 year old and like, you know, my physical prime and I'm doing this every day. And you're told like, yeah, this 75 year old man would I'm like, he's on crutches, <laughs> <laughs> but you believe it, right? You're like, Oh, like I mean, you know, but then you finally like, you know, and unfortunately I think sometimes jujitsu is, it's slowly headed down that direction. So it's good that, you know, there's a competition element where you can like, well, let's go, let's go find out whether that's in MMA or that's in a competition jujitsu. Yeah, you think of the lore of wrestling. It. Okay, it's not lore. It's like, yeah, these guys beat everybody. Yeah, that's why we we go, hey, we like that guy because he beat everybody. Well, he it, competed, and and that really like when we talk about Kano inventing judo, that is why for me he is unquestionably the most important martial artist of all time because he took all of these different Ryu or schools, you know, from traditional Japanese martial arts that, you know, it was like theoretically effective, but they were so deadly that you couldn't you ever practice these techniques, you know, going live. And he said, no, we're going to emphasize Randori. We're going to go live. And that might mean that we have to remove some of these techniques like eye gouges or, you know, you could argue that they ultimately went too far by removing things like wrist locks and foot locks, but they took out all the stuff that, of course, you can't practice gouging somebody's eyes out, right? Um, well, but, you practice it twice. Well, those, you that, need a new partner after that. that. That's a story that I've heard over and over again. Different people are credited to it all the time. I, Chris Howder has said it. I think Eric Paulson's said it, stuff like that. He's like, well, what about eye gouges? And he's like, all right, I'm going to put you in a rear naked choke and you try and gouge my eyes. Right. He said, but if you actually put your fingers in my eyes... I'm going to break your fucking neck. <laughs> so give it a shot. See what happens. But, but all those things, eye gouges or like, you know, strike the groin, restrike the groin. I mean, all that stuff like, you know, you can't practice it against a fully resisting opponent. And so Kano's genius 
was saying we have to develop a martial art, well, and what he would call like a system of physical education. That's why he renamed it judo, right? Where ultimately we can have two people go at it full go, full bore. I'm trying to win, you're trying to win, and we're going to find out what works and what doesn't work. And that ultimately created an incredibly practical art, you know, for self-defense or anything else. Because there was a sport, quote unquote, element. It was a competition element. It, you took, took the bullshit it. It was out. When you, think about, full go. you think about judo, like it's a lot of people look at it as a sport, but like judo is like the, the, the self-defense aspect, like getting thrown on concrete, but somebody yeah. knows how to do a judo throw. Hit like you with that's the it, planet. the fight is over. You'll appreciate this, Matt. You'll like this story. I was still doing karate, and I go to this major karate conference, and jiu-jitsu is now becoming popular. Was it right? the All-Valley Tournament-ish? <laughs> no, it was not the All-Valley Tournament. It was. Uh, where's the All-Valley Tournament? Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Yeah. That's in California, yeah. right? This was in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. But we're, they're their own. We're going to cut out the fact that you didn't recognize that. <laughs> no, I've, I've watched tournament. Cobra Kai. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've watched all of the Cobra Kai. Good, good. But I couldn't remember if the All-Valley Tournament was in California or Vegas. But anyway... So we're, at, we're doing a seminar with this guy, and jiu-jitsu is becoming popular. Like, there's been a couple of UFCs. The Gracies are, like, they're in every martial arts magazine. And this guy is teaching this seminar, this karate seminar, and he was like, you know, everybody's talking about Gracie jiu-jitsu, but if I got in a fight with somebody from the Gracie family, you know, I would just, like, do this, and then I would grab them by the testicles, and then the fight would be over. And then some, some poor guy in the audience just can't help himself. He was like... And the guy's like, what's your question? He was like, well, what if they grab you by the testicles too? <laughs> 4D chess. <laughs> Hadn't thought of that opportunity. <laughs> I was like, maybe I should go do jujitsu. <laughs> what if they grab you in the testicles too? And that's part of the reason why I, I love and I've continued to love jujitsu. It's that theory. Like I remember um, like when I first started doing like kickboxing, it was at a gym that did karate. And so we're doing kickboxing, getting ready for competitions. We're getting in the ring and we're sparring with each other. And I remember before class, there would be black belts like doing kicks and stuff like that. And like they would kind of do sparring and it was, it was just really messy. Like it didn't look right. Like what I would think of two karate black belts doing because you think of movies, like that's the association. And what I started it was more about, like Team America dolls, sort of flailing, kind of yeah, up like and it was a, each other. more like like old school, like uh, tough man, like hammer punches, yeah. like a lot of just trying to like get a point or whatever Shit, it was. Maybe I'm a black belt in karate. I could do. That. But what I loved, what I love about jujitsu and continue to love is its application. It's not theory. It's not this. This would work if they did this. It's like, has anyone ever done that to you? Well. No, because what I would do is too dangerous. It's like, whereas the reality is, it's like, all right. This is how a double leg works. You know, this is how a cross collar choke works, an arm bar works, or a, whatever, or an ankle lock or a heel hook. Like, it's application. You can feel it. You understand it works, and you know when it doesn't because they get out. <laughs> You're like, oh, shit, I got to get better at that. Or, ah, this technique's bullshit. They, didn't, they shouldn't have taught me this. But it, it's that actual, you get to try it. And maybe, it, and frankly, maybe it doesn't even work for you. Like, there's plenty of techniques I don't do. Like they just don't work for me physically or my brain is so muddled with other stuff. I just don't retain it. So I fall back to the same shit that I've been doing for, you know, better part of 15 years. But it's, you know, you find what works and what actually works. And if it doesn't work, you can make it better or you can try something else and not just wonder, well, what if this actually happened to me? Like, what would I do? Like, 
I tested out today some of the Derek Lewis philosophy. <laughs> with, Just get up with Lucas. Just push. Like he was kind of side mounted, and I said, "Let's test out." I'm like being smothered and destroyed by Lucas, and I'm like, "Let's test out if Derek Lewis is right." I'm just gonna stand up, and I got like halfway up, <laughs> and then I don't actually remember what yeah, happened. John's right though. Like I think you know, back to uh, Tom's uh, personal hero, Joe Rogan. When I, I think I think it's when. You know he's he's a black belt under Eddie Bravo, but he's a black belt under Machado's. I think it's when John Shock. Yeah. yeah, he's a black belt under John Shock. I think it's when he got his black belt from Eddie Bravo, and uh, he gives like this pretty emotional speech. Yeah. And at one point he says, "You know the thing about jujitsu is it does not lie to you. Yeah. Like if you get tapped, you get tapped. Right? You can't make well, you know, you know, lucky punch or this happened. Like you you know, like that person made me physically have to give up." Right. And that's like so true. Like it's like, you know, right? you can have a bad day. You can have a good day, but you can't go home and like, well, you know, if, you know, maybe the temperature would have been 73 degrees in the gym and, you know, this would have happened. And Matt was slippery. I, I mean, I think it's, it makes it real. And that's so important. You know, I mean, like it also shifts the emphasis to what is actually important. You know, like, like Ish, I, I started out in traditional martial arts and I, you know, really was into it from like age 14 to age 25 or something and uh that makes sense there was such uh emphasis does it there's such an emphasis on like the belts and the promotions and all of that kind of stuff um because you know the belt is really what you're getting you know you can't really determine conclusively if you could beat this other person or not whereas in jiu-jitsu yeah. what's that the hierarchy yeah the hierarchy and you know but in jiu-jitsu it naturally de-emphasizes the importance of those things because it's like, well, does it matter if I get, you know, a black belt, if all these blue belts are just tooling me up and they're about the same size or age as me or whatever? I mean, it makes you focus on effectiveness, mm -hmm. right? Jiu-jitsu is the art where that could exist without a belt system. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Nobody in the room needs it. We all know yeah. where we yeah, stand absolutely. relative. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's also like it's maybe it's just my version of jiu-jitsu or I think everyone's version of jiu-jitsu in this room is it's also always evolving. Like it keeps changing. Like, like Ish was saying with sport jiu-jitsu, it's like, Oh, this works now. You know, we get people like Akila or Marcus or someone who was actually going to like the world stage and the pan stage. And they're like, this is our game. Let's see if it works. And it does or it doesn't. And you go back to the drawing board and you try and figure it out. And it's not. Unfortunately, I like to think as a sport and an art and whatever you want to call it, that we're getting better at that, that not just being like, that's, that's stupid. Don't, don't do that. that. There's, yeah, there's still like, unfortunately there is still the debate on leg locks and like when people should be doing them and blah, blah, blah. It's like, who was, it? I think it was either Howard or maybe it was Dean Lester uh, that like a quote. It's like, like chokes being the king. It's like, you know, you do a leg lock, you break my leg, I can still crawl and grab my gun, whatever. If you break my arm, I can punch you with my other arm. You know, you choke me, I die. You know, so it's like this, this like level of effectiveness, like leg locks. Like people used to throw shoes at you at a tournament, like Eric Paulson talking about like back in 2000. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't like leg locks. Like leg locks were legal in tournaments, but Brazilians hated it. Like they did not think you should be doing leg lock. So if you won a tournament with a leg lock or fight with a leg lock, there'd be people in the stands who would throw shoes at you. Like, do they bring a shoe? Or I are think they it was. The, I assume it was shoe? their own they shoes. Yeah. 
Sometimes you do a shoey. Uh, well, maybe it was a shoey it's before yeah, the shoey existed. I no. Sir, <laughs> the real story of you the like, origin of the shoey. You, you know? like the shoey? Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's like hockey and people just bring squids. They're just ready to throw them on the ice. Um, and, and Eric Paulson's like, they throw a shoe at you during the tournament and then they might kick your ass in the park or try and kick your ass in the parking lot afterwards. And then you leg lock them and you go home. Well, and then Comprito wins worlds, absolute worlds in like 12 hold, seconds you know? with a, a toehold. Like fastest worlds absolute win ever. And all of a sudden Brazilians have to be like, all right, maybe it's not so bad. Like one of ours is one absolute with this leg lock. Maybe we should start to like say it's okay. So hopefully like we've got, we're starting to get like across the board. Obviously there's old school guys who refuse to. I know there's even at least one gym in Minnesota who's still very self-defense focused. Like doesn't even talk sport. Like no, we just do like Gracie self-defense, like the old school essentials, etc. Fine, do whatever you want. But hopefully we're getting more and more away from that and getting more into, let's find out what works. What works for me? What works for me might not work for you. What works for you might not work for me. Like Ish tells a story about with Hodger. You wanted Hodger to like teach you X guard or his X guard. And he's like, well, like I can show you X guard, but you're not going to do it like I do it. You know, like yeah. Hodger's six five. He was or like whatever. 10 inches taller than me. Yeah. When I trained with him, he was... He was, and his approach was so amazing because I've been to seminars with amazing jujitsu people and they're just like, this is how you do this. And I'm like, I was like, I don't know. Like, we're like so different physically. And then he was just like, yeah, we're not the same, man. He was like, this is what I do. Like, you know, you can take this, but you, you're going to have to tweak it. Right. And if you showed me something, I would have to tweak it. Like, we're just, we're like literally almost a foot difference in height. Right. Uh, but sometimes, like, the, and it goes again back to, like, there's this story, right? This is the perfect armbar. Well, the, the perfect armbar doesn't exist. Like, you know, your armbar is going to be completely different than the way I do the armbar, right? They can be similar, right? But not everybody's going to do everything the same. You can't. It's not that they're going to. You, yeah. They can't do it the, the same. The best basketball players don't play basketball the same. They don't yeah. shoot the same. Right. Right? Yeah. So, but it is, like, this martial arts and there's like this hierarchy of you know this has been delivered to me and how how dare i teach it different than it was taught to me by my instructor um that's actually my favorite and this is a digression but that's my favorite part about m theory is that you know when you watch all the people that are you know at a, at a reasonable level of it all the games are so different there's so many different games on the mat you know we all have the same instructor you know as a head instructor and it's like so many different pathways that people have gone and gone really sophisticated games built around completely different guards or approaches or you know, submissions. I mean, that's so much fun because I don't think that's the case at every school. You know, I mean, you can certainly see schools where like the Mendes brothers is as awesome as they are. Obviously, there is clearly a style that they are. And they're very and they were and they're yeah. very acknowledging of that. I mean, I've had the conversation with them where there will somebody come in and they're looking for the jujitsu this way or. And they were like, hey, man, like, you know, you should go to this gym. It's probably a different. And it's not like we don't want you here. It's just like we're trying to do jujitsu this way. This is our style. And there's a certain kind of person that fits into that. And they've been very successful with that. Super successful. Right? But they're also understand, like, you know, what they're doing maybe isn't for everyone. And there's so many, obviously, in Southern California, there's so many options. So. Yeah. And, and maybe if, you know, if I was competing and that's all I was focused on, maybe I'd want to be at a place like that, but just experiencing the beauty of jujitsu. I mean, I think a school like ours where it's like, you see so many different styles. Today I rolled with, how old's your oldest boy? 
Uh, he's 13. I rolled with a 13-year-old boy. Shout out I to rolled, Ben Hicks. Say what? <laughs> I said shout out to Ben Hicks. Yeah. The new Ben Uh I rolled with a woman who's like five feet tall and a brown belt, but roughly my age. I rolled with a fellow blue belt who's like 130 pounds. Chico's what, 130, 140? I rolled with a black belt who looks me in the eye, but also weighs 130 pounds. It was all over the map today. Yeah, yeah. It's completely different it. looks. It's everybody. Yeah, completely different looks. Everybody different different life, right? You know, different careers, right? But when they do jujitsu, like they don't, you know, none of it matters. Carlson Gracie, what do you know about Carlson Gracie, Matt? Nothing. Tell me. I take I, an open book approach to this. I, Just do your thing. I, I, the, the, the reason I bring up Carson, I never had a chance to Carson Gracie to train with Carson Gracie, and he's he's he was probably of the people that I never had a chance to train with that I wish I would have had a chance to train with. He's probably the person on the top of the list because I think like his his contribution to jujitsu is unfortunately over time it just seems like it's being lost. Like when he, he you know he died in like his seventies, and you know. Um, because, you know, you hear about, you know, people in certain sports or certain walks of life dying and they're like contributions to what they've done. So Carson Gracie's the guy that basically in jujitsu understood like, okay, there's a technical aspect to this, but what if I go get people that are really good athletes and I teach this to them and fundamentally, because their, their team dominated sport jujitsu for years he went to get athletes and he was like and i'm going to have these athletes train do physical conditioning and these things right and they were one of the first teams to do a lot of no gi because they had a lot of people doing you know valley Tudo and mma fights um so and then he somewhat um, I'm well he he he, he kind of diverted right i mean he was definitely like you know they the carson gracie team kind of rode in on the waves of you know horion and hoist right when there was other MMA shows at the time, but there was definitely a difference, right? When you would like, they oh, were ahead. That they, that to me is physically, you're you being would look ahead. at them, and of course there was you know the argument, like there was you know the controversy was always well, you know he's he's teaching, you know this is what he was accused of by Horion, he's teaching a watered down version of jujitsu to athletes, and pure technique will always win, and anybody that knows anything about Carlson Gracie, like that is not watered down jujitsu. That is like jujitsu at its pinnacle, but he had like the, you know, he had the foresight to understand like, well, eventually like athletes are going to do this. And when they enter the equation and they're technical, then the, that's going to change this sport. And now you look at the people that are world champions and they're all super athletes. Well, and none of them are under, you know, mid heavyweight. I mean, no one wins absolute if you're not a heavyweight either. You're yeah, big. Nobody, nobody even enters anymore. No, you're big, you're strong, you're fast because, you know. World absolute. Okay. Yeah, especially <laughs> the way the worlds are run. Like, they run absolute before the weight classes. And, like, remember Marcelo, before he stopped competing, said, I'm not doing absolute anymore. And they're like, why not? He's like, I, just, I get beat up. These guys are twice as big as me. And then I'm supposed to go do my weight class after that and hope to win golds. Like, forget it. So if you're not, like heavyweight super heavyweight ultra you're probably not even competing because your eyes been on maybe i can win a world championship but if i want to win a world championship i can't have to deal with buchecha or hadolfo or someone in the first round someone who's just gonna like outpower me and outsize me and everything else who moves like i do but they're a hundred pounds heavier than me you know i think that'd be an absolute or obsolete 
idea. What's that? That'll go away. The, the open weight class. Yeah, I think there's too much prestige to yeah, it at this so point because of the whole double gold medalist thing. The double gold. They give you a ring now. No, it'll never go away. For well, now there's the actually Mundi money. House. Yeah, but it basically like it's it's an extra layer of championship for the top three weight classes or whatever. I I think enough people are starting to realize that they don't see anyone below you know what 195 or so yeah, even like compete Mikey so. Well, not the world absolute. He's oh, done some absolutes. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah, like smaller competitions, they will, but not worlds. Like I'll give you an example: Paulo Miao, who is a uh, light featherweight, so you know, not a big guy. Paulo Miao actually won brown belt absolute. I was there when he when he won it against Keenan, right? Yeah, against Keenan yeah. at the worlds. Paulo Miao has never done a world black belt absolute. Yeah. He knows it's pointless. Yeah, he knows he has no chance. You know. Uh, best case is, you know, he loses and he gets to do his division. Worst case is he gets really hurt and then he was like, he can't compete, right? Because he knows it's pointless at this point. I mean, he's probably beat to shit at this point too. Just from the training? I oh, mean, yeah. you know, just years yeah, and mileage yeah, and, yeah. and serious competition. So then, Especially those two. Yeah, so, well, and just their Never fingers. You see pictures well. of their fingers and stuff. So then you give up 100 oh, pounds to a guy. Great. Yeah. Oh, when he wouldn't tap yeah. out to that heel hook. It was a knee bar, right? Was it a knee? Oh, the bend in his knee. knee bar. Yeah. It's disgusting. But yeah, like, but the knee is a hinge joint. She goes one. <laughs> she goes one way. Not yeah. a lot of like an moving. ostrich. But Carson Gracie understood. Like eventually, like, you know, you're just not going to a guy like Hoist Gracie. You know, you know, not the Hoist, not a good athlete, but I mean, he's not a super athlete you know, is not going to be able to walk in and beat a guy that's a super athlete that also has the same technique. So they created this narrative that, well, they're not that technical. And then I've trained with people from that lineage, and I'm like, oh, they're just as technical as anybody I've trained with. Like this idea that they're muscling everything. Like, no, they have technique, and now they have muscle on top of that. You know, they have athleticism on top of that. You would never... never look at, like, the NBA as it stands right now and compare it to the late 70s and 80s and be like... Well, yeah. no, man, they're better. Everybody's better, and they're better athletes, well, and they're taller. That's why I always hate these goat arguments in any sport. It's like the game is constantly so changing. It do, it doesn't even make sense it to makes, compare. It. it makes no sense. Even like within like a ten year gap, comparing mm-hmm. it, it's like it's constantly changing. We're constantly evolving how we're doing things and standing on the shoulders of giants. Like it doesn't make sense to compare unless you're actually the goat. Roger Gracie, and you go back and fight the next generation, yeah. fight Buchecha, <laughs> and, and win decisively. I mean, well, yeah. decisively after the first Metamoris. And, and back to uh, Carlson, I mean, I think everything that Ish said is true, but I mean, his value beyond that, like during the 60s and 70s, which again was the super dark period where nobody cared about Jiu Jitsu and it was basically dying. He was not only the family he champion, the he was the only guy. Like, he was the guy. He was the guy that beat the guys that Elio could not beat. <laughs> True. And ultimately, he was the only one keeping jujitsu in the public's eye at all. And he was taking on all comers. Eventually, he was even fighting pro wrestlers, you know, uh, and just destroying them because they were real fights. But was, was Carlson the first one who started doing the group classes? I can't remember who it was because jujitsu. Was only private. Like very private mm-hmm. instruction. And I can't remember. I think it was Carlson who was the first one who actually did groups. He would have probably been one of the first ones to popularize it because Carlson was just, just 
you know, the Gracies were looking to profit off of it. So they were trying to like, you know, market it to this elite. And Carson was like, well, I'm going to market it to people that are going to be really tough. And a lot of that time, as we know, people that are living in poverty, trying to find a way out, like those people are really tough, right? They have a lot of grit. Daisy Fresh seems to be doing okay. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the quote, but during the 60s and 70s when he was the only one doing, you know, jujitsu and making headlines, he said something like, if it weren't for me, oh, the Gracie family would be selling bananas. And yeah. there probably was a lot of truth to that. There's yeah, always kind money of in the banana stand. Forgotten. So. You know, he was like, <laughs> he was undeniably for years the family champion, right? And now, like, you don't even really hear people, like, talk about him anymore outside of, like, the Carlson Gracie lineage, like the Carlson Gracie team. Like, he just seems to be this guy that kind of, like, you know, has been Omitted. almost forgotten. Yeah. yeah. But his contribution, honestly, is, like, incredible. Yeah, invaluable. Right? He probably can't even, like, be measured. Which is the problem. It's not documented. It's not known. It wasn't well marketed. Like the other yeah, because I don't, think, I don't think he cared about those things. That's the problem. Right? To him, it was like, I'm going to try to create yeah. the best fighter I can. Right? Because he's also a guy that, you know, he, he went and, you know, he had jujitsu, obviously. But he's like, I want to go learn to box. Right? Because, like, this is just going to be another tool in the toolbox. Right? When you I mean the Gracie stomp isn't enough? <laughs> <laughs> the Pasau kick? Yeah. We, well, that's Matt. Any we, other we names? We miss anything there, Doc? Hmm. Probably lots of stuff. Tons oh, of stuff. Man. Yeah. It's over a hundred years a, worth of stuff. Such a complicated history. Free reign on the mics there, fellas, especially yeah, well, Ryan you. Dixon, Ryan Dixon? <laughs> well, I mean, if there if there is a Mount Everest oh. of jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is in the Marianas Trench Another. of jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Or another dead body on... Uh, yeah, he's right next to Green Shoes, green right, up shoes the, yeah. right up the cliff. <laughs> I mean, I made a list of what I think are some of the most common myths or misconceptions. Ooh. I don't know if that's useful. Yes, maybe. A new yeah, segment on the yes, podcast. No, this, no, 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 this is no, no. a Thursday hey. short episode coming up or, right here. Let's do true or false. Oh. Ooh. Let's, let's, Tom will read it off. And okay. Then, if it, if, it, that, if that works, Tom. Oh, yeah, that's and no problem. Matt was no, 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 no. Polly, Polly, Polly's oh, going to do okay. Polly, Some of these Polly, we've already given fine. away. I can skip yeah. those if you want. But. No, we got. I'll do those, Polly. Let's see if we were can, paying attention. Polly can elaborate or ask questions or give true or false. Pa- Polly's got to call true or false. Polly, true or false? BJJ did not come from judo, but rather from an ancient form of jujitsu. False. Nice. Yeah. Not yeah. bad for a guy on painkillers. Not bad. Uh, the Nawaza or ground fighting of judo was primitive and underdeveloped before the Gracies. That's true. No, no, not so much. So you can actually find photos and documented evidence of the De La Hiva hook, Barambolo. Oh, I have a story about this. Oh. All right. Chris Howder is still bitter about De La Hiva. Yeah. I actually have a, re- I have a really good story about this. I- I'll wait till Matt comes back to tell it. It involves Pedro Sauer. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really cool story. So uh, you got to win worlds with a guard before they name it after you. Kosen judo was a, a style of judo that was practiced in primarily universities in Japan, and they emphasized uh, the ground game. So they had a rule set, and they had very sophisticated ground game. So you know, it took a very long time for the Brazilians. I mean, obviously now they've surpassed judo, and and their ground game is more sophisticated, right? In BJJ, but I mean supposedly Halls Gracie introduced the triangle choke 
This was what, like the 70s or something? Yeah, from judo. And yeah, like he 70s. found it by looking in an old judo text. I mean, yeah. this had been around for a very long time. Yeah, right? no one had ever seen a triangle joke <laughs> until the 70s. is crazy. But I mean, then you think about things like the Barambola or the De La Hiva hook. I mean, judo was quite advanced on the ground. Not necessarily Maeda. There's some speculation that maybe he wasn't actually that much of a, a ground specialist, although that was, again, part of the myth. All right, next one. Mitsuyo Maeda learned jiu-jitsu or judo directly from Jigoro Kano. I think that's true. No. No. So he did not. He never trained directly with him, but rather with his students. So he was a Kodokan judo guy. His um, smallest student, because he was so, he was like five foot four. He's like, this guy's too small to train with me. <laughs> so he gave him his smallest student. I think it was more just a, a matter of time that uh, Kano well. was not actively <laughs> teaching at Kodokan you know, during that period. Uh, okay. Maeda was the person who brought Japanese jiu-jitsu to Brazil. Yeah, right? That, yeah. I mean, hello. He's the guy. I've seen video. I've been on YouTube. Guy, Not the it? case. Not the case, right? So there were a bunch of other people that predated him by quite a few years. Uh, let's see. Uh, According to Drysdale. According to Drysdale, at least. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's pretty documented, right? Because, like, <laughs> no, Alexio was a Brazilian. Joking. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Gracies <laughs> received extensive direct training from Maeda. I think we covered that yeah, one already. Yeah, that's false. Uh, the Gracies modified judo to create a distinctly different art with lots of new techniques that had not been seen before. The open guard, the triangle choke, De La Hiva, Barambolo. I suppose we covered that one. Yeah. Heretics. There were not <laughs> other teachers who should rightfully appear between Maeda and the Gracies in their lineage. No, that's false. Yeah. 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 So we talked about some of those guys. Donato, right? Jacinto Ferro. Yeah. Yeah, Paulie's doing awesome. Those muscle relaxants make you smarter. It's the rocking chair. <laughs> it's the, it's it's the, the rocking rock. chair. Shout out to Zach. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The Gracie brothers received black belts directly from Maeda or some other reputable teacher of Japanese jiu-jitsu. John Grill says no. John Grill says no. He's my lifeline over here. So almost certainly they belted themselves, right? Yeah. yeah. You can get them on Amazon. I'm thinking of doing mine. the same thing. Yeah, I lose shit. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> order them. Where'd you get your black belt? Amazon. Amazon. Two day overnight. What are you talking about? Give themselves a black belt to start the whole thing. Exactly. To like, like who gave Cano his black belt? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, same kind of deal. Didn't you ever right. see that video of that guy who went to like fight sports? I think it was cyborg. I think it was fight sports. He showed up and he was wearing a black belt and he'd never done jujitsu before. And they figure out like halfway through, this guy has no idea what he's doing, and they just like start messing with him. And then the, like the instructor calls him, always like, "What the hell are you doing?" Like, why are you wearing that? He's like, I didn't realize it was a big deal. I just, I, I like the color of the belt. I thought that's all it was. <laughs> it was just like, oh my God. No, if that's genuinely true, like he just knew he had to have a belt. And he was like, yeah, black's my color. Like he just had no sense of that's the ranking. That's, actually, that's a great good. story. It's crazy. Uh, all right, I'll skip some that we covered. But Helio did well in his famous challenge matches against well-known Japanese fighters like Kimura and showed the superiority of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Of course. What? Not without a question. No. Wah, wah. <laughs> so in those early matches Heretics. against the Japanese judo guys, the Gracies, it was not uncommon to be thrown 20, maybe even 30 times in one match, right? So if you were scoring just on takedowns, it would be like 25 to zero, right? But they were very slick when it came to negotiating the rules in advance. So they would negotiate everything from... You know, could you wear a gi? You had to wear a gi, but it couldn't have long sleeves because that could give the judo guys an advantage. They never wanted points involved or standard judo rules because 
you know, they would basically just be super defensive throughout the fight. And then if they didn't get tapped out, they would declare victory. They'd say, well, look at that. I survived against this, you know, Japanese guy for that long. So most of these fights, they just got he dominated. Some, he lost some. But if he could get on the ground without getting knocked out, he was a masterful choker. Like he's masterful at like getting two hands in the collar. Yeah, his cross collar. Right? And that's basically where he had to get the fight to, whether it was him sucking them. There really was no pulling guard at the time, but you can find like video of him just like clinging, just trying to pull this person down, you know, after he's been thrown four or five times. So, Although Drysdale's take on that is a little different in that he talks about, well, if you're going to get thrown 25 times in one match, what does that tell you? I mean, for one, it tells you you're not pulling guard, but for two, it tells you you keep trying to get back up. Right. Which is kind of interesting, you know, when you think about it, because if you really thought that you were dominant on the ground and you could beat Kimura or whoever, why would you keep getting back up and getting thrown? again? Well, and supposedly there was a huge argument over just open guard versus close guard, like that the Gracie's like, no, close guard. Like, why would you do open guard? Like, that's not practical. Like, supposedly that was the company line well, that it was all about the close guard. To, I think to, to, well, to Tom's question, though, nobody invented the butt scoot yet. Yeah. Mm. So. But I think there's probably a part of maybe their expectation of their standing skill was maybe a little bit beyond. So I'm I'm going to get thrown, but I'm going to try up and do this again. Okay, I've eventually been thrown so many times. Like, what's the point of this? Well, you, so, but so you, you need 25 to, times to to get that. Very stubborn. I guess that's what you said. It was stubbornness early on, right? Yeah, and I mean, I think after the fight again, there was a lot of spin, like with the Kimura fight, for example, where you know, the, the Gracie version of this was that it was amazing that, you know, he did as well as he did, um, you know, and he was outweighed, although they exaggerated that, um, you know, but at the end of the day, these were not real close fights. Next, so. you're going to tell me that Hulk Hogan didn't have 24 inch pythons. <laughs> don't ruin my day here, Tom. Well, I will say though that, and I know we've said this, I don't want to belabor it, but I mean, the Gracies didn't have to make up anything, you know, to, to be great in the sense that the actual events are still incredible and we owe them so much, right? I mean, uh, we haven't delved into their personal life much. Uh, there, there's a lot there as well. But, I mean, clearly, <laughs> maybe we won't. Uh, Doesn't translate on a podcast how fiercely Ish was shaking his head at that one. <laughs> I bet they could hear the wind on the mic. <laughs> we won't talk about who bought the original Gracie Jim. Or how that occurred. That's for another podcast. Ooh, that's not how you don't talk about something, Tom. <laughs> Let, let's end with Isha's story for Matt. Yeah, I yeah, have yeah. to go get dinner. So, um, I think one of the things was the idea that the idea that judo didn't have like groundwork, like they created it or they or they they advanced it like so far. It was completely different. So. The used to be, I have these videos somewhere. You used to be able to go on eBay when jujitsu was really, really kind of like nobody did it. Like when I was on campus and I probably uh, uh, bought these videos and went college campus, I was probably literally the only person on the campus that had any interest in this stuff. So people would find these videos. Like there would be all these old competition videos in Brazil. Then there would be like videos of people like training in garages. That somebody had like an old camcorder. There were people like you know Hickson had made a video one time like his forty-five minute like pre-morning workout he did, which is like it's watching it. It is exhausting. 
And uh, and then people would somehow get their hands on this video because oh, you know, I'm doing jujitsu in the garage, and then the next thing you know, like they would make a copy and it would be on eBay, and you could go buy it. So I have all of these videos of things filmed in the Gracie garages that I bought, you know, now whew, 25 years ago, and then and I've kept, I still have all this stuff. I have no idea where it is in storage, but. In like the early 2000s, this is probably like 2000, 2001. Pedro Sauer was at our at our gym at the at the Minnesota Martial Arts Academy at the time doing a seminar, and I have this these Kosen Judo videos uh, that are filmed probably in the 50s. And Kimura's in these videos, and he's a little bit older now, and he's in these videos, and he is doing all of these like Kimura's. That's that's what he's doing. But he's doing all of these things like on the ground, but then he's doing like all these really sophisticated like rolls from standing with like the Kimura. All right. And so I, I buy these videos and I'm watching him. So I take him to the, the gym the day he's there. I was like, you got to see these videos, man. Like these videos of what these guys in Japan are doing in the fifties. It's like, yeah, it's like a primitive version of what we're doing now, but I think it's the start of what we're doing. And he was like, ah, okay, let's watch these videos. And it shows some like takedowns and it shows some stuff. And then uh, he's watching through the videos and there's, and it's a copy of a copy of a copy, right? So you're trying to like, and then of course you're trying to identify like who, what, what Japanese judo guy is this? Kimura is the one that obviously stands out. You can just write it right, tell it's him. And then he watches a little bit and he's like, well, yeah, but they don't really use the guard and they don't use their foot. They're not using any footwork on the ground, right? It's all like top stuff. It's all like takedown, so it's really not like what we're doing in jiu-jitsu where we're fighting from the guard. And then the next the next video is a guy doing an omoplata, and he was mm-hmm. like, hey, can you make me a video of this, by the way, so I can take back home with me? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, this is what we're doing. I was like, I don't even know what the omoplata is, but he's doing it. That's funny. And this is like a video filmed in the 50s, right? Yeah. And somebody yeah. just went in with a camcorder when these guys were all training at the Kodokan, and they just filmed all of this stuff. Pre-Scotty Nelson. We'll talk about Scotty Nelson. I have those too. Scotty Nelson. Yeah. Uh, hey, he's on Mount Everest for me. Some of those videos were amazing, man. When those guys, when those guys would, him it's a big and, mountain. It's a big mountain. It's a big mountain. And those, yeah, those videos are amazing. Those guys would go to Brazil and train with those guys, and they'd come back with crazy videos of training and other things. Dengue but, fever. Yeah. Both the name of the video and what they had when they came back. Good branding. Yeah. Thanks, boys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Matt.